Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves by dialing in toll-free and bringing up whatever's on your mind. The uh, toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. That number brought to you by SACL CAI. It's 800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Got a positive court decision to uh, tell you about. These uh, are rare, but they do happen, and we do like to tell you about them when they occur, like the like uh, good news when it's out there. We'll give you that here in a little bit. Plus, Mark, you've got a story uh, that uh, we, you mentioned the other night. We never had a chance to get to it. Something about stopping a, a police bullet, $500 fine. I'm confused. I don't know what it is. So we'll find out more about that. But, of course, your calls come first. So let's start out with Jason in Colorado on the amp lines. Hello, Jason. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, I'd like to talk about bonds tonight. Uh, over the last couple of nights, I've been calling about economics, and I ended on stocks yesterday. I'd like to talk about how uh, many old people are investing in bonds or a lot of their retirement portfolio or bonds. Now, what, is a, what think, is a bond? A bond is some sort of government thing, right? No. It can be no? government and it can be corporate. Mm. Uh, it's just basically a loan. Basically, you give them money and they give you interest every year, and then at the very end of the, the term, they give you all your principal back, which is the money you originally loaned them. And uh, in that whole time, you hope that uh, they don't go belly up and they pay you. Yeah, so, in, in some circles, they're known as certificates of confiscation. So is it different it, from it, a CD in that you get paid interest every year as opposed to a CD where you don't get anything until the very end? Uh, you know, I don't actually know the whole. I've never actually owned a CD. I, I think CDs are definitely shorter term usually. Mm-hmm. How long does a bond I, go I for? Uh, bonds go anywhere from um, short term to all, typically 30 years is usually right. the a bond. A bond is the opposite of a, sort of a bank. A bank is an institution that loans money to a bunch of individuals, mm-hmm. whereas a bond is an institution that asks, uh, essentially puts up a, this offer for a loan to a bunch of individuals who sort of pool their, you know, who not really pool their money, but they, they all individually buy a piece of this, this loan and then mm-hmm. they get paid back on the interest. So I say, I want $100 million and I'm willing to pay 7.5% um, over 10 years and then you know that so there is a guarantee a thousand dollars i'll throw in on that and and that kind of thing so there's a guaranteed rate as long as they stay in business that's the intent Mm -hmm. yeah and and so like what mark was just saying is it is uh someone that needs the money a la a government in this case or a corporate corporation bp would would be floating bonds in order to you know exist they need to probably get some money uh from people that are willing to lend and also in greece all the rioting was over the the rates of the Greek bonds. The, the, and obviously, if the government of Greece is not able to make payment barely on the existing bonds that they had, then they, as they, as they ruin their economy with high taxation, they're even less likely to be able to pay off new bonds. And that's why the rates on Greek bonds went uh, I don't know, upwards of 10%. So I would like to just tell everybody why I think bonds are going to be a loser in the, in the next couple decades, because um, basically... Uh, you you're going to get uh, you're going to get your interest that is specified in the terms of the bond like Mark just said 7% uh each year over 10 years but that uh, you're you're hoping and praying that you don't get inflation because they don't uh they don't adjust the payments to you based on how much uh the CPI or any other inflation index goes up sure. you get the money you get the money that they promised you whether it buys anything or not uh that's up that's your problem so right I think that, as I've discussed, well, the last most. I mean, what nights, investments do adjust for inflation besides gold and silver? N- not too many, right? Not okay. too many at all. And 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 so so what 
when you, when you choose to become a bond investor, and this is uh, a lot of older Americans have bonds. Uh, younger guys like us don't typically have bonds in our portfolios. But uh, and, and this is why people are going to get really wiped out, because a lot of the oldsters right now have a bunch of bonds. And when the inflation happens, that is, uh, we've been talking about the last couple of nights, these people are going to get killed because their bonds, they're going to be returning interest, and it's not going to be buying anything. So that's, that's the first uh, big problem with the bond market. Rates have nowhere to go but up because, you know, the Fed is pushing rates down. They have been for some time. No, wait, when you yeah. say rates, what rates are you talking about? Interest rates. Uh, the, the interest rates. There's many rates, but yes, interest rates. Well, if businesses are having a problem, why would they? Uh, why would rates go up? I, mean, I guess I'm confused as to, like, why would they be paying uh, okay. out more interest? Well, if those, these... the, you, I think your businesses, you're talking about corporate bonds, which, uh, and you have to distinguish between corporate bonds and, and government bonds. A lot of uh, senior citizens buy government bonds because they're perceived, and they've been perceived for some time as being safe, and they're not paying attention to the change in climate right now. Well, right, the government can always steal, so it'll always pay out. Well, true, true. But in the past, it, they have been relatively safe. But there is a big change in climate going on where a lot of governments are poised to go broke. And the only way they can get out is either to inflate or default. And that's where, the, that's where Jason is explaining the problem will come in when the money supply is inflated, then the bond payments will become worthless. Or, so, or, or, or worth far less worthless. than they should be. They won't, the, the money won't buy anything. So, uh, right. in the, like, for example, if you buy a municipal bond, many states have uh, tax-free status for those. So anything you make is tax-free. Years ago, my grandfather used to buy them because he could make a nice income every year and not have to pay state taxes on it. Okay. So I'm still confused about the rates, though. I mean, if, um, if what you're saying is that over time, these uh, people that are get, they have these bonds, the government people are paying out on them, and, or the corporate people are paying out on them, and then uh, over time, the money, fly, money supply is inflated, thereby whatever they're paying is you know, not worth as much as it used to be. Why would the government increase the rates they're promising people? Is it just to sell more bonds? Is that the, uh, the intent behind the increase of the rate? Right, because, Ian, uh, people that have money to spend or to invest in bonds, as the government spends more and has a you know, gigantic trillion-dollar deficits year after year, their ability to make the current bond payments plus new bond payments become suspect. Therefore, they become, risk, they become riskier. It's riskier to give your money to them because mm-hmm. your likelihood of getting stiffed is increased. So in order to entice people to give them money, they have to uh, basically the rates have to go up to attract people to give the money. Um, to them. And now, if the, the rates go up, that means they have to pay more out, which means they have to inflate the money supply more, et cetera, and so on. Yeah, yeah, and, the, and, and I am kind of jump, jumping back and forth between corporate and government bonds. The other part of corporate bonds that Wayne didn't mention there is that uh, a corporate bond, once it uh, exists, it can usually be called back in so that if uh, we do get a deflationary environment, which I don't think we, we're going to get anytime soon, but uh, basically your bond... Uh, actually appreciates if the money supply decreases and uh, you're getting paid the same amount of money dollar value, but that bond actually is putting you're you're, you're gaining purchasing power. Yeah. So that bond actually becomes more expensive to the people who's paying it back, a la, you know BP or the government. Uh, BP usually has a little clause in the bond contract that says we can always call the loan back in and pay you off. And basically, they get to basically null, not nullify, but they basically get to close the bond out early, so it doesn't cost them as much. So That's you would get your principal. So you would get whatever interest payments you've already received plus the principal, and that'd be it. Right, but if you're a person that has a, a, a portfolio of bonds, all of a sudden you have a bunch of bonds basically get canceled out, and now you got to go back into the market 
and now you're going to have your, – your bonds are either going to sell for uh, less. You're, you're basically going to lose uh, – you're going to lose out because they're going to take your sweet, sweet deal away from you by, by – uh, by basically canceling out the bond. Well, if they do so, that, at least you're getting your principal back, right? I mean, because then right. you can take that and put it in something else. Right. But I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, if the if the macroeconomics turn so where the money supply deflates, uh, bondholders don't get to sit there and let those uh, wins, those good choices they made, they are going to get stopped out early and they're not hmm. going to get the full, you know, you can't run with the money. Yeah, I'd never really known that. This is great. I've never really known much about bonds. I always heard about them, but I didn't know what the hell they were. So now yeah, I get it. Now, now, but one last thing. So with the with the treasury bonds, those are not what they call callable. They're not the kinds like when you buy a thirty year government treasury bond, you don't have uh, the government's not going to call that back in. Mm-hmm. But they can always change the rules. Just like oh, sure. uh, I've been warning people about uh, retirement accounts, they can change the rules on you, and they can say, hey. Uh, the government, uh, bu- uh, the, the budget is so bad, we're not going to pay interest. They could just do that on a whim. And Absolutely, just, and you'd be screwed. screwed. You'd be SOL. And thank you, Jason, for the uh, the expertise. You need, like, your own website. Do you have a blog or something like that you can plug? No, I'm, I'm in the process of starting that. I'm talking to Mark about that oh, stuff. Cool. So. cool, right on. Well, thanks. thanks for the call tonight. I appreciate it. Uh, 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Wayne's just sitting here nodding the whole time. It's apparently, I agreed. <laughs> I agreed with him. All right, so more coming up here. Uh, you can take control of the airwaves. We'll talk about the cops and a positive court decision, plus your calls about anything, 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. MemoryDealers.com offers the world's largest selection of discounted optical transceivers, including SFPs, GBICs, XFPs, Zimpax, and X2s, that are 100% compatible with all major networking equipment manufacturers, including Cisco, 3Com, Foundry, Alcatel, and HP, at up to 99% off list price. Memory Dealers can also offer customized solutions for your transceiver requirements, including private labeling. Memory Dealers is your trusted source for all your networking and telecom accessory needs, in stock and ready to ship via overnight delivery. MemoryDealers.com this is free talk live you are invited to take control of the airwaves dial in toll free and bring up anything 800-259-9231 the SACL cai toll free line 1-800-259-9231 join us online at freetalklive.com we give you the features for free so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. And uh, tonight it's Ian. And Wayne. And Mark. All right. So, uh, Mark, tell us about the police. Wait, no, uh, not uh, talk about that? Oh, yeah, Wayne, Wayne had something. Wayne wanted to talk about bonds but briefly. Yeah, Rick, I just wanted to wrap it up really quickly, but I wanted to give an example of, of the corporate bond issue, and that is that a lot of people have been buying bonds in the past historically because of their safety, and now with, with, with corporate bonds... If you're a bondholder of that company and the company goes bankrupt, the bondholders get paid off first before the stockholders, before a lot of people. Hmm. And the GM bailout actually broke precedent. It broke about 150 years of, of contract law to bail out other people before the bondholders, which also creates a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace. So again, we so have, will you get paid or not? Exactly. Will you get paid or not? And, and there's, there's a lot of debate right now between the inflationists and the deflationists. 
And, and you know, if you look throughout history, when there's been a hyperinflation, it's been in a, in a response, uh, a government response to uh, deflation. So deflation will start to set in, and then the central planners freak out, and they start printing a whole bunch of money to prevent the deflation, because when deflation happens, they lose control of the economy. So that's something to really watch out for now. Any kind of really mass stimulus plan is going to cause, or is likely to cause a lot of inflation. The, right now, we, we want to have a liquidation of debt, bad debt, and uh, things like that, and, and they're preventing it from happening. They're, they're propping prices up artificially, which is, 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 a, is just a temporary fix. But in the end, they all want to fall. And, 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 and this, the forces down get so strong that that's usually what prompts a hyperinflation. Hyperinflation doesn't happen on its own. It happens from central economic planning. Well, yeah, we had uh, this gentleman calling in uh, throughout the last several days, Jason, who's been, I think, really doing a great job of explaining all several different economic issues. And one of the ones that he really pointed out that really struck me as huge is this unfunded, uh, or not unfunded, but this uh, trillion-plus-dollar amount of money that the banks are just sitting on. They got from the the bailout, Mm -hmm. and they're just sitting on it. So that's going to have to come out at some point, and when it does, he, he predicts it's going to be significant inflation. Well, some of it went down a black hole from all the derivative losses. So some, some of these big institutions that, that had made these derivatives bets were being bailed out also. So some of the money's just gone down a black hole and into a few people's hands. It's hard to say where it exactly went, but uh, the next two years or so are going to be really, really interesting. Well, that's something you pretty much always say. Uh, but, so we got a story brought to you by copblock.org tonight, Mark, and it's from William Norman Grigg at Lou Rockwell. Yeah, it's at the Lou Rockwell uh, RLC blog. Um, so it's uh, fined $500 for obstructing a police bullet. Michael Housley of Arnold, Maryland, had his hands full dealing with his wife's health crisis when the police materialized in his doorstep last July 12th. And uh, this was actually written uh, right at the same time, so I guess it had been a year before. Earlier that day, Housley's wife, Leah, had been taken to the hospital for a mental evaluation. When she left without being discharged, a nurse called the police and asked them to do a safety check. Mm, oh, so boy. This wasn't even, they weren't even called by the, uh, the individual, it was called by this, you know, sort of pseudo-authority, a nurse. Re- These don't go well. Yeah, a request that is rapidly becoming the leading cause of preventable death. Mm-hmm. Housley refused to let the police see his wife, and ordered them to leave. Reasonable. I think, look, we don't need your help. Uh, thanks for your services, but we're not interested. This Goodbye. is private property, yeah. and you're not welcome. Right. This should have ended the matter. It didn't, of right. course. Well, wait, wait a minute. They're, they're his servants. What are you <laughs> talking about? Officer Doyle um, Holquist tried to detain Housley. That is, the uninvited armed stranger criminally assaulted the worried husband and attempted to kidnap him. Housley broke free and ran into his house, locked the door behind him, and called 911. Wow. <laughs> That's going to help. Perhaps in the desperate hope of casting out Beelzebub <laughs> with Beelzebub's powers. <laughs> when Holquist and his comrades contacted their supervisors, they received conflicting instructions. One of their supervisors advised them not to force their way into the home. The second told the officers that they could break down the door. Nobody gets any extra credit for correctly guessing which of the instructions the officers chose mm. to follow. Oh boy. Once the police had demolished the door, oh, Officer man. Holquist uh, escalated the matter further, adding... Time ag- to get the battering ram out! <laughs> Agri- mm. Right, the, whee, we get to <laughs> knock down a door. Adding aggravated assault to criminal trespass by dousing Housley with pepper spray. One of Holquist's homies, Corporal Jeffrey Bauer, <laughs> attempted to uh, <laughs> subdue Housley, who bear-hugged his assailant. 
bear hugging isn't generally a dangerous activity. Okay, I mean, like it 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 might be somewhat uncomfortable, but I I don't I don't know. Anyway, I mean, it's not like punching. Yeah. Bauer's response was to assault with a deadly weapon. Oh, wait, he, Shooting... he, bear, he did the bear hug after he'd already been attacked. He was, uh, b- yeah. yeah, pepper sprayed. Right. He uh, shot the besieged man twice with his portable oh electroshock God. torture device. <laughs> Confronted with three armed, violent intruders who had repeatedly assaulted him, Holquist staged a desperate counterattack by grabbing a wooden chair and swinging it at Bauer, who, recall, had just attacked him with a lethal weapon. Holquist drew his, drew his firearm and shot Housley in the neck. Mm. For several days... For a chair. I mean, you, you you might think the guy pulls a gun. Certainly, you're talking about you know guns for guns. But he had a officer chair. safety, Mark. Officer safety. It's this, all completely if, legal. This would be the, the the time to employ the uh, the taser. If of course everything else had which been they already did, up, right? But this this is what the taser's for, right? Mm-hmm. Shooting a guy because the taser isn't like what you carry. This little little shock device unable- you can touch them with. It's like a little gun that shoots these little barbs. So shoot yeah. him with the taser, and but don't worry, he'll. How are they drop unable it. to uh, subdue him after shooting him twice with the taser? I don't know. That's very unusual. He was probably really upset really about the pepper up. spray. Yeah. For several days after the shooting, Housley was in critical condition. During that time, Leah Housley, the supposed beneficiary of the police inter- intervention, <laughs> wasn't permitted to see her husband, whom she correctly described as the victim of criminal justice. Yep. And uh, on June 3rd, a jury acquitted Housley of two counts of second-degree assault on a police really? officer, one count of resisting arrest, and one count of reckless endangerment. Wow. They acquitted him on all counts. On he all was found guilty of two counts of obstructing a police officer, the first pr- presumably for absorbing Bauer's taser strikes and the second for allowing his neck to impede the path of Holquist's bullet. In what he uh, probably <laughs> what? thought was a gesture of quasi-divine clemency, Judge Philip T. Karoom fined Housley $500 and offered to expunge the guilty verdicts after a brief term of probation. To his credit, Housley, who had several reconstructive surgeries in his jaw and mouth, will have to endorse and will have to endorse several more. Refused to deal in or, refused the deal in order to appeal the verdicts. Hmm. Assistant State Attorney Thomas Mitchell also, um, was also dissatisfied with the sentence, insisting that Housley's actions, like those of any other mundane seeking to protect his home and family from unwanted police violence, rose to the level of criminal conduct. Wow, that's the article. Can you believe? I mean, it's just it's it's stunning when you get to hear these articles day in and day out. Look, I know that I, I understand why people believe that we need police officers to protect us from things like this. But it seems like more and from more. What? From, well, uh, it, protect us from the criminal element out <laughs> protect there. Protect you from a guy that wanted but it him seems to go like more away. More and more you're dealing with cops that you need protection from. Mm-hmm. Not that are out there protecting you. Yeah. Well, and that's the difference between a police officer, or a peace officer rather, and a thug. Absolutely, and you never know which one you're going to get when they pull you over on the side of the road. You don't know if you've got a rogue officer, some sort of uh, badge heavy that's got a real addiction to adrenaline and jacking people up, or if you get somebody that's, you know, Mr. Friendly. <laughs> it's like a crapshoot. The bad ones make uh, make the good ones look bad. And your life is on the line with these guys. They have no responsibility for their actions. More coming up. It's Free Talk Live. Hey, everybody. Scott Horton here for FreedomCam.net. From coast to coast, the increasingly militarized American police state has grown out of control. Peace officers have become law enforcement. The old doctrines of minimal force have fallen by the wayside. Cops are now trained to use overwhelming force in virtually every situation, resulting in an epidemic of police brutality across our society. I say fight back while you still can. Film the cops and put it on YouTube. 
A critical mass of police brutality videos is being assembled online, and a change is going to come. Police perjury is no match for instant replay. Freedomcam.net offers discreet video cameras to help you avoid confiscation while checking power and protecting yourself. Freedomcam.net. This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves by dialing in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Joining you tonight, it's Ian. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com, where we give you the features on the site for free, including the uh, the listening options. We've got live streams, both broadband and dial-up flavors. We've got our webcam we also have uh, the listen lines that allow you to call in from any phone that can dial long distance and listen around the clock. Plus, our brand new uh, satellite channel. It's all available for you. Listen.freetalklive.com. Now, what if you found out that the best liberty activists from around the world were moving to the same place in order to achieve liberty in their lifetimes? Would you want to join them? Well, it's happening and you can be a part of it. Join the Free State Project at freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. Dot org. As we continue here, we'll take your calls about absolutely anything. Otherwise, uh, big news out of an appeals court. And it's good news for uh, those of us here in the radio business. The uh, FMQB reporting, uh, FMQB.com, a U.S. federal court of appeals, has struck down the FCC's controversial policy on indecency enforcement. According to multiple reports, the U.S. Second Circuit Court of Appeals has declared that the FCC's ability to punish broadcasters for fleeting expletives is unconstitutionally vague. A panel of three judges in New York agreed with major broadcasters such as NBC and Fox that the FCC's rulings had been unfair and a First Amendment violation. Uh, the judges said the commission's policy had been creating a chilling effect that goes far beyond the fleeting expletives at issue here. Now, the reason why they're talking about this here is you may recall... Uh, do you remember the Janet Jackson Super Bowl uh, incident? Yeah, the, the war- wardrobe malfunction? Yes. The I missed it, too. Well, I'm, I doubt you missed much. Uh, it was from, the briefest of flashes. Yeah, from what I understand, that, that was the case. Uh, so that happened, though, and it led to, and of course, it was also Cher, I think, saying F something or other at Bono, an award ceremony. Bono uh, said F something or other. Yeah, somebody else. Nicole Richie said F yeah. something or other. So some uh, some celebrities. People do say that, that yeah. word. I mean, I'm sure they do. I've said it myself. I think I said it last night's uh, podcast when I was uh, trying to be hyperbolic to some you, extent. You may have. And uh, so, right, in the real world, that's what happens. And when you're at a live event and you're broadcasting live, sometimes somebody forgets to hit the dump button. And it goes out over the airwaves. And so as a result of that, the FCC came in and they came down with something like multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. I think the maximum fine is or minimum fine is something like $300,000. They raised it over the last several years. The maximum fine is $300,000. Maybe you're right about that, but they raised but, it. Normally, they go for the maximum uh, for well, big broadcasters. Big, and- big broadcasters, and you know, it's one thing to go after the big broadcasters. Nobody feels bad if WCBS or whatever gets hit with a with a big old fine. Three hundred thousand dollars is probably what a thirty second ad goes for them. But the problem is, is when they go after little broadcasters with a smaller fine that that they seem because they don't really have the perspective. A ten thousand dollar fine for a little broadcaster on a little radio station for a fleeting expletive that could put them out of business. It will absolutely do that. I mean, all depending. It all it, it, it all depends, and but and I don't know what kind of history the FCC has with going easy on their fines. I'm not sure about that, and and like you say, Mark, they don't know. They're not in touch with the marketplace, so they don't realize how devastating these things can be. 
And again, they're just accidents. It's not like somebody's getting on the air and saying F this and F that on purpose. Uh, It's just a mistake. Somebody gets a little too passionate, drops an F-bomb on the phone line, or you know, some uh, Hollywood star says something that uh, they, they probably shouldn't have. Those kinds of things. Right. It's not like they're employees of the station. You know, It's one thing if the host says it. It's another thing entirely if a caller or something says it. Really? You want to fine uh, Free Talk Live's 70, 80 uh, radio affiliates because w- one person got on and said something and somebody couldn't get to the dump button fast enough? Yeah, and that's what the old policy was, and Briefly, that's why um, it, it it wasn't even that old. I mean, it was only the former, decades poli- old. The yeah. former policy was uh, the 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 court here the has uh, this is appeals court circuit, second circuit court of appeals has unanimously decided that the FCC had gone too far. They've created a chilling effect that goes far beyond the fleeting expletives at issue. In the ruling, the judges granted the network's petition to review and vacate the FCC's order and the indecency policy underlying it. The next potential step for the FCC's indecency policy could be a review by the Supreme Court. So the FCC could take this up the line. Uh, whether they, they might as well. Well, I don't know. On the other hand, uh, Mark, that, that no broadcaster, I don't know if they mentioned this in this version of the story, but I've been reading the different industry publications about this particular issue. And no broadcaster has ever pushed a free speech issue like this with the FCC to the Supreme Court. And in this case, it would be the FCC's choice to continue on. The, the appeals court has said, okay, we're smacking down your policy here. This is, you, you're out of, out of line. Naughty FCC. And it would be the FCC's choice to appeal at this point. So if they choose to appeal to the Supreme Court, or the, I guess they can go to the full appeals court and then the Supreme Court, because this is just a panel on the appeals court. Uh, but either way, if they choose to go up the line, it will be the very first time, as I understand it, that, uh, or at least in a long time, in decades, maybe since the uh, the George Carlin thing, uh, I think it was Pacifica. I think that went that's to the Pacifica Court. case, and I believe that was in the sixties. Yeah, um, and that's the one essentially where it all came down. Mm-hmm. You can't say these. The FCC wasn't even involved in regulating content up until that point. Broadcasters did it on their own, which means the I Love Lucy show or uh, you know Dick Van Dyke or whatever when they'd say that she was in a family way instead of uh, pregnant. <laughs> Broadcasters yeah. did that on their own. That's right. They self-regulated. That <laughs> wasn't even the FCC. I had no idea until I started reading this um, uh, that that was the case. But that's the case. You know, Lucy and Ricky used to sleep in separate beds on the yeah. I Love Lucy show. Remember that? <laughs> right. Now, and, and I, I'd love to. I'd love to talk about that briefly. I mean, the idea is is that well, these people don't have sex, but how? What a disturbing thing to to uh, to, to portray to the kids of America is that normal people don't sleep in beds together. Normal mm. mommies and daddies don't sleep in the same bed. What? How bizarre is that? Yeah. Normal mommies and daddies sleep in the same bed. They have a healthy sex life, and that's what it's it's the foundation and the cornerstone to some extent of their it's, a relationship of their yeah. relationship. Yeah, mommy and daddy don't have sex, but the, uh, your little sister came from a stork. It's weird. <laughs> I mean, this is what you want to tell kids. Yeah. You know, uh, this whole thing about the f bomb and all these different words. It's done in bad taste in most cases. In fact, you would some would argue in all cases, but. To, to come down on somebody for bad taste when, when you got, you know, over a million Iraqis dead in the last eight mm-hmm. years. I mean, there's a lot of things that are far worse in this world than, than saying the F-bomb on the radio. Yeah, and, and you know, those things, those things they can do. Yes. 
So uh, Fox has released a statement in the ruling or on the ruling saying that we're extremely pleased with the decision handed down today by the Second Circuit. We've always felt that the government's position on fleeting expletives was unconstitutional. While we will continue to strive to eliminate expletives from live broadcasts, the inherent challenges broadcasters face with live television, coupled with the human element required for monitoring, must allow for the unfortunate isolated instances where inappropriate language slips through. So this is what I'm wondering is what quality now, now you've got this fleeting expletive, uh, you know, so somebody can give a fleeting expletive and, and everybody's not going to lose their job, which, by Thank the way, has goodness. happened. It, it absolutely right. has happened. People have been uh, stations have been fined. People have lost their jobs. It's that insanity. The clear channel policy but, is when in doubt, leave it out. Right. And if you don't, and then you the lose your job. that's the chilling aspect that they were talking about. Yeah. If in doubt, leave it out. That's absolutely chilling on what conversation right. what would be about. What can you say? The question is, uh, you know, there's I mean, nothing what, specific. What has been left out. Well, right. The FCC, that policy combined with the FCC's policy of this nebulous description of what indecency and obscenity is makes it so you really have no idea where the lines are. There are no lines. The FCC has never drawn any line saying you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't say that. Right. Uh, they, the, the policy is something to the effect of if in the you know view of the community standards uh, that uh, you, you know you violated those community standards, but I don't have it in front right. of me right now. It's just this really it's, nebulous thing. It's about community, thing. community mm. standards, but we've talked about this off air. You know, do we want to do this story on circumcision or something like that? We've talked about this, and the fact is, on Free Talk Live, we we won't uh, you know not address important issues like that. But, uh, you know, I mean, uh, how many broadcasters out there that work directly for uh, Clear Channel rather mm-hmm. than having a few of the stations like we do have said, well, you know, we're just not going to talk, gonna about, talk it. about this. And that's right. the chilling effect. Radio is supposed to be about free speech, and it's not because the government's involved. Yeah, that's true. And the government that's there to protect free speech. Do you see a problem here, Mr. and Mrs. America? And so, the marketplace usually takes care of these things better than, than uh, the government does. You know, as you pointed out, prior to the FCC being involved, the marketplace was taking care of it. 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. But you talk about getting rid of the FCC and people start to flip out. Some people do. And it's not necessary. And there are interesting ways the marketplace can handle it. So I'd like to talk a few about a few of them coming up here. You can also bring up anything. In the decades to come... Hardy adventurers will colonize the solar system, rediscovering freedom and finding vast new wealth. But the government of Earth will seek to extend its power and claim that wealth as its own any way it can. Escape from Terra, Volume 1, the first trade paperback collection of the popular adventure webcomic series, is available now for $12.95 from Big Head Press at BigHeadPress.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever's on your mind. Just dial in via the toll-free number. Brought to you by SACL CAI. It's 1-800-259-9231. SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian with you. And Wayne. And Mark. 800-259-9231. Our website, freetalklive.com. You want to help support the show? Do that by shopping with us at amazon.freetalklive.com. Just enter Amazon through that link, and Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. So start your shopping at amazon.freetalklive.com. If you if your your weight just keeps on increasing and your belt size just keeps going up and you know you you just can't figure out uh, how you're gonna fit the time in for exercise and you don't have any plans on changing your diet, there's a product that might be able to help you. It's it's helped me. It's called Luma Thin Plus. You can get it at LumaThinPlus.com. 
it uh, it isn't the kind of product that gives you the jitters uh, you, when you when you take it. You just take the these capsules twice a day. Um, you take one or two, depending on uh, you know what kind of dosage you need of of this. Uh, of this product, it's uh, the product's actually called Caraluma. It is a cactus from India that suppresses hunger. Um, there's there's real science right there on the page. You can go to LumathinPlus.com, check out the science, order the pills. There's a summer special going on where you can order three months and get a fourth one free at LumathinPlus.com. It's great. I take it all the time. LumathinPlus.com. Right. So the toll free number eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Just a few more thoughts on uh, the FCC because. While there has been a positive court decision in this case, and I do like to bring good news to the table when it's possible, uh, while there has been a positive court decision, it doesn't really mean a whole lot in the scheme of things. As far as there are some real problems with the radio business, and this doesn't really address anything core. This just addresses one of the many issues that the FCC has created with its enforcement policies. And essentially now, for those that are just tuning in, uh, radio stations no longer have to live in uh, abject fear of every single word that might come out of a morning show host's mouth or something like that when they uh, get a little bit racy or when a caller accidentally drops an F-bomb or, or something like that. Something unexpected happens uh, and they they don't hit the dump box or they don't have a dump box or, or whatever. Uh, they don't have to worry about that anymore. So that's good. You know, From that aspect, it's going to lead to better programming uh, where people are not afraid to take risks and it'll be good. So it's an improvement and it's worth mentioning because of that. But the real issue with the FCC, of course, is the FCC and the fact that it exists in the first place. The original purpose behind the FCC was to simply regulate the band, uh, to regulate the spectrum, to subdivide the, uh, the megahertz and the gigahertz, and to, uh, to essentially allocate that, what they call a public resource. Mm-hmm. That was the purpose behind the FCC. And, of course, with many government programs, the intention seemed good, right? Right, but then there's mission creep. Oh, yes, there is. In fact, I wish I had the quote from uh, the current FCC chairman, a guy by the name of uh, Genakowski or Genakowski. He, in one of the industry pieces on this, was quoted as saying, basically, and we're still doing our job of protecting children and supporting families and something else. Blah, blah, blah. Like it had nothing to do, nothing to do with just regulating the band. It's, it's a, the FCC's primary, one of his primary tasks, according to the, the chairman of the organization, is to protect children. So that's where it's come and gone. That's where it's come from and gone to in the last, uh, I guess, almost 100 years now. What was it the 30s when the FCC was started, I think, something like that? Uh, early 30s, late 20s? I'm not positive on that. Mark's not paying attention anyway. So, <laughs> I, think that's the, I think that's the truth. Yeah, okay. So uh, what are you doing over there, Mark? I was uh, reading the Google Wave on how the FSP, uh, the Free State Now program's going. Maybe you could pay attention to the radio show you're supposed to be doing. That would be really nice. I'm trying to save the world here, man. Okay, we're doing fine. Uh, so anyway, the FCC uh, created uh, essentially to supposedly regulate the ban. So when you end up proposing the end of the FCC, usually that's what people who are somewhat familiar with it will go back to. They're not so concerned about ending the content restrictions as much because as they, they are. Because they know that stations will content uh, will regulate themselves as far as for the most part. But in the case of the of an objection to, well, there'd be no more control over content. There are ways to get around that, and I think that one of the best ways that. Uh, that is worth mentioning is like the Christian people out there probably wouldn't want their kids to encounter Howard Stern. Most 
I, I would say it's a fair statement to make. I know some Christians would be okay with it, but um, yeah, I, I I agree with you. But I think that it's I, I think it's this sort of silly, old-fashioned idea that kids are running under the covers with their transistor radio, listening to Howard Stern. I mean, does that really sound like America today? Because I mean, <laughs> maybe you're talking about 1974. You might be seeing something like that happen, but not today. If your kid wants to listen to to Howard Stern, he can probably listen to him live or yesterday's show on the internet, I, I well, would guess. Presuming you don't have some sort of internet blocking thing that's preventing them from going and doing that. Uh, I would imagine that a, ch- a, it's a crazy child blocker on the internet would have Howard Stern's website included in it. That, that would be my presumption. And so in the event that you have somebody that wants to lock their kids out from certain types of information, technology allows for that. And in the absence of the FCC, technology like that can be implemented and developed in a much faster way. Uh, so, for instance, uh, there's this new technology, uh, new, it's actually from the mid-90s, uh, called HD Radio, where uh, there are a handful of radio stations in every market that have gone into uh, you know, HD. And it doesn't stand for high definition, it stands for hybrid digital. So it's not actually higher definition than analog. It's kind of like a, it's basically marketing, uh, essentially. And... The thing with HD radio is, you know, it's a neat idea to transfer from analog to digital radio. But unfortunately, because the FCC was in charge of selecting the king here, being a, being the kingmaker, uh, there were a couple different, I think, uh, when they were looking at the, the specs of the different proposals that were put on the table for the FCC uh, to, to approve, they went with one of them. And so there was no market competition. There was... Right. A little competition right. by some people some who were lobbying. Some bureaucrats just the, made the decision. Right. They were lobbying the FCC. And so as a result of that, the radio industry has been hobbled with this HD radio that is, for the most part, it's pretty crappy. I mean, it's, it's much crappier than it, than it could have been. It could have been much better, and of course, had the market been allowed to actually operate, we could have had competing technologies, uh, you know, in the same way that we had VHS and, and you know Beta or Blu-ray and HD DVD, and then the market would have decided eventually which way things went. But no, no, the FCC had to be the decision maker, and they had to anoint someone, and so uh, and so that's what they did, and of course. Because uh, they, they've essentially created a monopoly provider for digital radio, they took their sweet time coming out with it. Radios didn't start coming out until uh, the early portion of this decade, and they didn't, weren't coming out in any significant ma- manner, and they were extremely expensive. Because the company that's making these radios is charging. It's charging the manufacturers a significant amount of money for the chips in order to put them in the radios, so the manufacturer has to uh, take a jump into like you know this pool of HD radio that they don't even know if anybody's going to buy these radios, and the the company that makes the technology that has this monopoly isn't making it easy for them, right. and they're certainly not making it easy for the radio stations who have to pay thousands of uh, tens of thousands of dollars just to get the license to run in HD. It's not from the FCC; it's from the monopoly company that's selling the uh, the transmitter it's modifications. Crazy. It's like the whole thing is a huge it's a huge scam uh and i've got my hd radio i mean i it's i'm a radio geek right so i you play might with this be the, stuff you, if you're if you're, I'm like you're one, one of three people in keen right? of people in in this yeah. uh, metro very few people have this it's probably me the general manager of the local radio station and uh, Some the engineer geek, of yeah. the local radio station that has this uh because so it's just one example right of, of how the fcc is hobbling this radio in the radio industry 
So in the absence of the FCC, the marketplace could come up with all kinds of technological breakthroughs that would allow each interest group to get exactly what they wanted. So right. like the religious nutters that really want to keep their kids from any kind of uh, outside communications would be able to have their own little band where they have religious radio stations and right. that's they, all that's they there. They may very well uh, you know, segment the ban from uh, 108 to 109 FM for religious programming only or 10, uh, 108 to, to 110, which currently aren't on the FM ban. They may segment the band in that way and then sell Jesus radios. They'd be in the shape of Virgin Mary's or, or Christ with his, uh, mm-hmm. with his arms outstretched. You'd have speakers in each hand, little iPod speakers, little round ones. It'd be awesome. And, there'd be- and then they'd Car radios and they stuff would like only that. access that particular right. band, and then people would be, uh, you know, the, right. would, they'd segment to there. And uh, right, that's exactly how it would work. And you can see it working with uh, the satellite technology. We've talked about how Free Talk Live is now up on KU Band Satellite. They've got this free to air satellite channel that LRN.FM is airing on, and so Free Talk Live, therefore, is airing on it as well. And there are a whole bunch of these Christian channels up there. There's Christian television and Christian uh, uh, Christian radio channels up there. And basically the way they do it is they market these receivers that are essentially designed to, hey, you can get all these Christian channels and you don't have to pay for, you know, this HBO or the TNT or whatever the, you know, the, the, the secular channels would, you'd find on your local cable service. You can just get all these Christian channels. And so when I was buying the space on the same satellite that a lot of these Christian channels are on, I didn't really want to be on a transponder that had a lot of those channels. Because I didn't want to be uh, necessarily uh, associated with that neighborhood of, uh, of content. Not that I would have a problem with Christians finding this station. They will find it anyway. But nonetheless, it just shows you how the marketplace can allocate itself. Hour 2 is coming up. Free Talk Live. My worst day ever? I'm waiting in this crazy line at the DMV. So I'm checking the web. Zero responses to my new resume. My 98% compatibility match now just wants to be friends. And hackers have taken over my Facebook account. I just thought, has the whole world turned against me? It's not the whole world that's turned against you. It's the Internet. Private, inaccurate, or unflattering information posted about you online can hurt your reputation, your career, and even your relationships. But now, help is available. It's called Reputation Defender. Reputation Defender controls your privacy online and manages how you look when someone Googles you. Reputation Defender continuously monitors everything about you on the web, including 40 social networks. It also removes your personal information from websites that collect and sell it, protecting your privacy. Go to MyReputation.com or call us at 877-720-6497. 877-720-6497. Use promo code BLACK for a special discount on our revolutionary service. This is Free Talk Live. We are inviting you to take control of the airwaves. Dial in toll-free. Bring up anything. 800-259-9231. And we're brought to you by SACL CAI. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We give you the features there for free. One of those features is our brand new archive section that allows you to download archives that go all the way back to 2006. It's all free for you at freetalklive.com, so don't miss your chance. So, well, you, you don't have to rush, I guess. They're going to be up there for a long time. Uh, and I have no plans on taking them down. In fact, over time, Free Talk Live has done nothing but ask, offer more archives to you, the listener, and it's always been free. So enjoy it. 
freetalklive.com. Oh, by the way, the website allows you to actually influence the stuff we'll talk about on these very airwaves. You can go create an account and submit different news items and blog posts and videos and things like that, interesting stuff that you like. From across the web, you submit it to our website, and then our listeners will vote up or vote down on whether they like or dislike it. Uh, so it allows uh, you to kind of bring stories to our attention by popularity contest, basically. And it's all free at freetalklive.com. You know, I was just looking at our analytics for our, our website, and it's heartening to see that the uh, the new feature, the, 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 the being able to put the news stories on there on the front page, mm-hmm. um, has increased the amount of people coming to the site sort of overall since we rolled sure. out in, in January. It's, of course, uh, it gives them content. The 33% uh, more people visiting the site. So the, it's it's, really it's user-generated content that is uh, is constantly updated, so there's always something fresh. It doesn't, doesn't rely on me anymore to put something new on the front page, which is what our old site used to do back before uh, the uh, beginning of this year. So, 800-259-9231. Let's talk to you about what you want. Uh, let's talk unscreened to the amp line. Who's this? You're on Free Talk Live. Hey, this is Ty in Memphis. How y'all doing tonight? Ty, what's on your mind? Hey, I heard a rumor that uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's estate is going to sue some some group in New Hampshire for plagiarism, some Shire society. Did you hear anything about that? <laughs> Uh, no, I have not. This is I think news. that's a joke. <laughs> joke. I wanted to see if there was any uh, uh, late-breaking news on this L. Neal Smith plagiarism charge against uh, those fleeting expletive socialists up there. There, There is some late-breaking um, news. Just to uh, recap for our listeners what happened uh, yesterday, there was quite a bit of drama yesterday as a result of... Uh, and a science fiction author who's a well-known libra- uh, libertarian, L. Neal Smith, uh, decided to threaten those of us who were involved in the uh, kind of to not so upfront threat and let's let's say he was a little more subtle about the threat uh to threaten the people involved with the shire society which as you know if you've been listening for a little while we signed the shire society declaration uh during the porcupine freedom festival about 100 signatures i would say at least i've no one i don't know if anyone's counted them yet but we had two large sheets of paper with the declaration written up on it. it's very uh personal sovereignty kind of minded document and it's very very good you can read it for yourself uh over at shiresociety.com but uh Actually, if you probably could look for Shire Society on the Internet, probably would come up with it quicker, the Shire Society Declaration. So people were signing this thing. It was very exciting. Uh, we talked about it on the air, and uh, there have been some blog posts about it across the Internet. And one of those blog posts made it to the attention of O'Neill Smith, who had written a new covenant, is a page in one of his science fiction books in the 1980s. He put that online on his website. It's one of the you know not-so-prominent pages on his site. He's got a lot of stuff there. And that's uh, it's where we found it. Those of us who are behind the Shire Society creation uh, found it on his website. We posted it. I posted it uh, to the Freekeen Forum. I think it was at someone else's suggestion, though. So I posted it to the Freekeen Forum, and we then spent pages and pages and weeks of time essentially updating it and changing it and making it to our satisfaction because the people in the Shire Society didn't really like uh, El Neal's version of this. What he created. It was a good start. I mean, we appreciated where he was coming from, but there was a lot of change that we felt needed to be made, and those changes were made, and the Shire Society Declaration was created. And so El Neal got uh, upset over the, not the fact that he wasn't asked permission, but the fact that his document was changed at all. And it resulted in quite a bit of drama. He threatened to uh, go public with uh, what we'd done. He called me a thief. He called the people, uh, Sam from ObscuredTruth.com, a thief, called us vandals. And so he was he was pretty nasty about it. Mark used the term crusty. 
Uh, and he was nasty about it, so I gave him a taste of his own medicine, and Mark uh, called me out on that, and Sam called me out on that last night during the extended uh, edition, because I, I said to him, look, we're going to go public, too, if you want to go public. I mean, you could just drop this and leave us alone, but no, he kept on pushing. So we went public with it on the show last night and went into extended uh, time and had a lengthy discussion about it, and I, I uh, came to the conclusion that I was a little too hasty, I was uh, a little bit angry, maybe a little too emotionally uh, led in my responses to him yesterday via email. And so I actually had sent him at Mark's suggestion last night off the air, uh, sent him – actually, I don't think you actually suggested I send him anything like that. I think the suggestion was that uh, I should be more compassionate. That was kind of what the show ended with. And so I wrote him an email you didn't suggest that, right, Mark? No, it's just a, uh, I, I just uh, edited some of what you wrote. Right, right, because we talked about how uh, I should have sent my original email that I'd written to him, to you or Sam first, to have you kind of put your input on it before just blasting it yeah, out. I think, I think Sam suggested that you be more compassionate, come from a more compassionate uh, frame. Yes, and so that's what I did. I, uh, on my own volition, uh, decided to write El Neal an email, and I uh, cc'd it to his wife, uh, Kathy, and Sam and Mark and uh, other folks that, that were involved. And so I'll share that with you here. Uh, El Neal, there may not be more that I can do to, uh, that I can do. Oh, wait, that's the wrong one. That's the one about arbitration. I'll tell you about that one in a moment. Apologies. Neil and Kathy, I'm sorry that we don't see eye to eye about what defines property. It's my understanding that you believe you have the right to control the ideas you release to the public. It's a view I can empathize with as I once held it. I'm sorry we can't come to an agreement about this as I never had any intent to cause anyone harm. Although the covenant may be the right document for Neil and yourself, it was not right for the, Shiles, uh, for the Shire Society. We created a new document that, while it may bear some resemblance, is not the same. We put our own work and ideas into it and created something new. I'm not the owner of this document. No one is. I'm sorry I cannot satisfy your demands because earlier in the thread over the Free Keen forum, you can go to ShireSociety.com and read this for yourself. Earlier, his wife posted uh, you know, this demand, this, uh, what was a pretty absurd demand that we essentially destroy all evidence of the, uh, the Shire Society declaration. Which, of course, even if we did light the uh, Shire Society on fire, or the declaration on fire, there are multiple digitized copies now of it all over the internet. So <laughs> it lives. Cat is out of the bag uh, at, at this point. And uh, so I continue the email here. I said that, uh, so I'm sorry, I cannot satisfy your demands and understand this must be hard for you. All I think that can be offered is credit as the inspiration, which you've already received. Though later on, I did add a link to his original document on the very same page where he was given credit. So he had he had received credit before, but there was no link. So now he's received credit and there's a link. So just kind of a, a gesture of kindness, if mm-hmm. uh, if there can be one in this. I think that's because, good. Well, because I'm not going to pull the Shire Society Declaration down. I'm not not. I don't want to do that. And uh, so I continue. I say, hopefully, you will see that the publicity from this controversy will benefit both sides. Thank you for refraining from aggressing against peaceful people. Because initially, in his first email, he said he was blind co- uh, copying his attorney, and that's like as somebody uh, somebody put it, like cocking the gun in the room. Basically. And then later on, when I called him on threatening me, he's, oh, no, no, that wasn't a threat about uh, the, the government. Well, it sure as hell sounded like one. And I can I think most people can see how that would be uh, perceived of as a threat. Well, sure. The, the attorney is an officer of the court. The court is, is the state. Right. And, you know, he, he was basically uh, trying to dodge that. And, and, and there's no doubt that it was a threat. And that's fine. You know, whatever. He was Sometimes upset. people will say things like yeah. that when they're upset. And he probably fired off an email yeah. quicker than he should have. And, you know, whenever you I know he in, ended. 
whenever you get into a heated debate with somebody, especially using email, it's always a good idea to put it in your drafts box, think about it for a while, read it again a few Mm -hmm. hours later. Don't just type something up real quick and and hit the send button. It's not a good idea. I take a day to think about it because if I'm, you know, hot, I, I, it takes me a while. Yeah. I think, I think you're absolutely right about that. Uh, hopefully, but I was, as I explain here in a moment, I was smelling controversy and I knew it would be good for, uh, for ratings. So, uh, so I said that, uh, thank you for refraining from ag- aggressing against peaceful people. I'm sorry for taking a combative tone with you earlier. I was perhaps too focused on how this could be good fodder for my radio show. It was, though I ended up looking like a condescending a-hole. I hope you get a few new visitors to your website and that they buy some of your books. I know I upset some of my listeners tonight with my position, and it's likely they'll do that to show their support for your viewpoint, because all of our listeners certainly don't agree with me on my position about uh, intellectual property, which is really what this discussion was about. So, Ty, I'll let you come back and uh, comment if you have any. You're welcome to do that. 800-259-9231. There's a little bit more to the story about uh, L. Neal Smith versus Free Talk Live. Uh, Things are simmering down. It's Free Talk Live. You take control. Have you been thinking about starting a website? I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a worldwide leader for web hosting, and they make it easy to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and templates. Use the coupon code FTL. That's FTL is in Free Talk Live. And sign up at HostGator.com to receive your first month completely free. Whether you want a personal blog or a complete e-commerce business website, let the experts at HostGator.com host you. This is Free Talk Live. You're invited to take control of the airwaves. Just dial in toll-free, 800-259-9231. The number brought to you by SACL CAI. What is SACL CAI, Mark? SACL CAI is a collections company with a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables, so they can handle all of your accounts receivable needs. They know that the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful. They record every call, and they have the best equipment money can buy so that your business is handled as efficiently as possible. You can see their banner at freetalklive.com and uh, do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live. All right, so we're talking about the controversy that brewed up on the show last night with the L. L. Neil Smith situation, wherein he uh, was essentially coming off, uh, going after the Shire Society, which uh, we're certainly affiliated with here on Free Talk. At least I am affiliated with, not you, Mark, because you wouldn't sign the Shire Society Declaration. Uh, but I did, and I, in fact, I was one of the, the people behind the creation of the Declaration, so I was one of the first people to sign it. And so this L. Neil Smith uh, came after us basically saying that we stole his work, uh, the New Covenant, which is available on his website, that he allows people to sign and send to him for a fee, with a fee of like $2 to put in a file folder or something like that, to archive it, as he says. And so he, uh, he does this, and so he had this New Covenant. We took the, the New Covenant, we modified it, we changed it, I would say, fairly significantly, so, because significantly enough to where he called it a butchering of his original document. You know, he didn't claim that it was the exact same thing, and it certainly is not. Uh, and uh, the people that signed the Shire Society Declaration, many of them have said they would not be interested in signing the New Covenant. So it's not even a competition for them. It's like this one is what's right for them. The Shire Society Declaration is right for them. And maybe the New Covenant is right for other people. So anyway, he, he came after uh, and kind of threatened us uh, yesterday about it, and it resulted in a lengthy discussion about intellectual property and, and jumping to conclusions and, 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 and getting angry and, and approaching things from a compassionate perspective. So last night, uh, last night I, I did write something uh, that I thought was more compassionate toward 
uh, toward El Neal and his wife. And I did send it to you, Mark, before uh, before I sent it off to them. Yep. And then a little bit later on, you called to suggest that I uh, suggest arbitration to El Neal. Because he'd actually dropped the suggestion of arbitration in one of his emails to me earlier in the day. And uh, and so I did, although I, I felt like it was kind of silly because, well, it... it I'm not in charge, right? I mean, nobody's right. in charge of this document, but okay, fine. You pointed out, Mark, that, well, it would be the high ground and whatever, and so I reluctantly agreed. And I went ahead and wrote an email about that, and I wrote him saying, El Neal, there may be, there may or may not, or excuse me, there may not be more that I can do to personally satisfy you, though I have added a link to your original document to the citation in the top post on the Shire Society declaration thread. So letting him know, I gave him a little bit more credit that uh, was probably due. However, I am willing to submit to arbitration, provided we can agree on an arbitrator. Of course, as I stated before, I don't have the documents you seek to have destroyed, so I'm not sure if I'm the right party with which to arbitrate, as I am but one of the dozens of signers of the Shire Society Declaration. But you're also the guy that owns ShireSociety.com, so That's you're, true. You're, you know, you're, you're Let me impotent know in this one. If you want to pursue this, and we'll figure out the next step. And he replies somewhat cryptically. Uh, with, wait until this weekend, Ian, thought about all this all last evening and discussed it with my wife. I think I have a solution that will make everybody happy. It's a, quite a change in tone, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, earlier in the day, he had been calling us socialist scum. Uh, you know, Earlier in the day, he didn't want any restitution. He just wanted us to admit that we were socialist scum. <laughs> Later, his wife said they wanted us to destroy the Shire Society Declaration, so it got a little more significant what they were demanding. And now he's saying he's come up with something that will make everybody happy. So we've yet to see uh, what that proposal well, your tone is. tone changed, and so I don't That's see true. any reason why his wouldn't. Right, right. So uh, so, so it worked, Mark. Uh, your, your suggestion I worked. am a super genius. <laughs> <laughs> you, so, know, you know, uh, yes. Ian, if, if the situation was reversed... How would you feel? Uh, let's just say you did right, because what you do is well, I you, don't threaten to sue people. Right, I know you don't, but I mean, uh, you get on the air and you say things, and you and you basically talk about a lot of ideas, and and you you put a lot of things out there, and I think you're the type, and I'm the type who, if you see it somewhere else, or you hear about a voluntarist and someone else talks about it, you think, oh wow, cool, the ideas are, are getting uh, they're circulating. Some people are more protective over their ideas, especially writers, because it's more tangible when you write something as opposed to just saying something on the air. Mm-hmm. And I think his first reaction was to be protective over his baby, which is his work. Yes. Right. And, and so he has to get past that, which it sounds like he's beginning to do. I, I hope so. And it probably wasn't just me either, because I know that uh, like his fans were essentially some of his fans that were also fans of the Shire Society Declaration or even signers of the Declaration were writing him uh, email saying, wow, this is shocking. I'm surprised you would do this. I, I'm not a socialist and, and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. So it's likely he was hearing from more than uh, than just me on I this. W- I would like to point out that I don't think there's anything wrong with threatening to take somebody to court. Um, the if, if somebody won't submit to binding arbitration and um, they have done something to me civilly that is wrong and I feel it's worth taking them to court, which I, I consider that to be an expensive and arduous task, but if I feel it's worth it, it's the only uh, bind, you know, uh, it's the only arbitration organization currently that we have where people who may not want to go would have to go. Do you understand? Uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I just, uh, I'm not interested in using that system if I can avoid it. And I certainly I under, don't threaten I would, people. I, obviously, uh, I, I, I've never, you know, it's it's not something I do on a day-to-day basis, but I would do it if and I, I don't, had to. And I don't threaten, There's you don't have to. Uh, in this case, you certainly don't have to. This, this is an intellectual property matter. And so it's not like somebody's been actually harmed here. 
anyway, so uh, so yeah, I would not uh, be threatening somebody. In fact, at one point there was this show out there that was uh, this like sick racist show that had used the term free talk live for their, uh, the sh- their program. Yeah, the name of their show was it was it was it was the uh, evil free talk live yeah i haven't seen them <laughs> popping up on my google alerts that's because uh, the one guy shot himself after he, he uh, killed shot, his wife. shot and killed his wife yeah. wow. um because she got caught with uh i don't know some other redneck yeah but there were there were other people <laughs> who were involved in the show and at one point they brought it back even after that guy killed himself so one of the main guys killed himself and then so on so now forth. with anyway. fewer bigots yeah. So, so my point being there, like, I never even said word one to those people. It's like, whatever. Okay. You can call your show whatever you want to call Karma it. Karma took care of them. I mean, right now, you can actually find other shows within the industry. Like, there's one that's called Heart Talk Live. Should I be threatening them, there's too? There's Health Talk Live. There's right. Liberty Cap Talk Live. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a right. kind of a neat name for a show. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's talk, and it's live. I and mean, then it's whatever else. I yeah. believe that ideas are free, and they're unlimited. So once you create an idea, and you release it to the public, as L. Neal has done by posting it on his website. A great idea. It's inevitable. Yeah, it was very good. That's why it inspired us. Uh, that uh, that people are going to take your ideas and they're going to run with them and they're going to create things you never expected. Look at what Jason Sorens, I mean, from the Free State Project, the guy who came up with the idea of the Free State Project, his idea was really originally to just have some politicos move into New Hampshire and vote uh, liberty-minded people into office. He had no idea that there was going to be this civil disobedience movement, this non-cooperation, all this media that would uh, yeah. would sprout up. And There's he's, a certain amount of chagrin to he's, uh, <laughs> he's a little upset about that. He is. Yeah. And and it really it really comes down. It's at some point some people accuse us free staters of all following Jason Sorens, and it's ludicrous, ludicrous. I don't agree with much of what I hear that guy say. I he's, think he's a very kind man and had a really really great idea. Mm-hmm. Sure, I agree with that statement. Uh, from what I can tell, I've only met him a few times. But uh, but I certainly don't agree with a lot of the things he says, and there's plenty of evidence of that. So anyway, my point being that ideas, once they're released, become something else. And there's no way you can control that as much as you might like. Oh, and there's a little bit more good news uh, surrounding this L. Neil Smith slash Free Talk Live Shire Society controversy. And that is that the folks over at Mises.org, uh, Ste- Stephen Kinsella specifically, who actually called the show last night, has written up an article about the controversy, which promotes both Free Talk Live and El Neil Smith. Mm-hmm. And so, if anything, uh, both of us are going to get more promotion and you know more listeners slash book sales. It's Free Talk Live. This Your Family Today tip is brought to you by Nestle Toll House Morsels. There are a million reasons to bake with Toll House. Find yours at VeryBestBaking.com. A balanced diet is important, but so is the occasional treat. Working with your kids to bake a dessert from scratch helps them to appreciate it even more, and it keeps them from resenting having to eat their veggies every other day. Plus, baking is a perfect excuse to spend time with your kids, since just being together is a treat. For more tips like these, visit us at parenthood.com slash yourfamilytoday. Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. The features are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Features including news updates. You go, get signed up. We'll keep you in the loop whenever there's something you need to know about Free Talk Live. Just go to updates dot freetalklive.com and you can get signed up to receive our email updates which is the best way because then you're going to guarantee you see it whenever you check your email you'll see if there's anything new from free talk live you get all the details or you can do facebook which is pretty good it's a pretty good way to to get information uh but on the other hand facebook limits the amount of characters you can have and and you don't always see everything unless you're in facebook every single day 
uh, and you're there at the right time. And then there's Twitter, which, yeah, even fewer characters, more difficult to get complex ideas across. Uh, but so you can sign up for whichever one of those three options works best for you because people are different. So go to news.freetalklive.com, get signed up. That's news.freetalklive.com. For instance, today, uh, via the updates list, I, I announced that we've got th- uh, three brand new affiliates that have uh, come on board. We'll say hello to them officially later on this week when they're actually listening uh, during the Saturday program. But thanks to listeners like you for becoming Free Talk Live amplifiers, we are now at 80 radio stations, FCC-licensed radio stations uh, across the country. We have more than 80 if you count uh, the microbroadcasters like the Pirates and the community stations, uh, Part 15s and such, that are uh, picking up the program. So uh, go get signed up for the news updates at news.freetalklive.com. HostGator is a worldwide leader for web hosting. They make it easy for you to get your own .com domain name, whether you want a personal blog or complete e-commerce business websites. You can let the uh, experts over at HostGator Dot com host you. If you use coupon code FTL, that's FTL as in Free Talk Live, and sign up at HostGator.com, you'll get your first month completely free. If you don't use coupon code FTL at HostGator.com, you won't get your first month completely free. It's HostGator.com. All right, so uh, I said there's a little bit more to the story about what's been going on between El Neal Smith and myself, uh, the, the other folks with the Shire Society. Uh, El Neal Smith being a fairly popular science fiction writing, uh, writer, one of the bestsellers out there and well-known as a libertarian. As it turns out, he's one of those libertarians that doesn't believe in, or excuse me, that does believe in the concept of intellectual property. I, at one time, may have shared similar beliefs. However, now I do not, uh, as I've come to the conclusion that ideas should be free and that ideas are free, and that when you copy an idea, the person who had the idea doesn't lose anything because they still have the idea. Uh, It's different from stealing a a person's physical property or damaging their physical property. You can borrow ideas as many times as you want, and thank goodness you can, because ideas are what wealth is created from. You know, you've got natural resources, and then man has his brain and the ideas, and they combine the, their, their ideas with the natural resources and create products and services, and then those uh, products and services and new ideas, that is, are created with, are combined with other new ideas. Uh, you know, the typewriter turned into the word processor, turned into, uh, you know, the computer. I mean, being, being very generic here, right? Uh, but we're seeing how ideas progress and are building uh, upon one another. So it was, it was pretty shocking to see somebody who's supposedly loves freedom, lashing out at uh, his freedom-loving brethren for borrowing some of his very good ideas and modifying them and then releasing them as a, as a different document. No, butchering them. That was his term. Things have simmered down a bit since then. I uh, wrote him a, an email that I, that, I, that I thought was more compassionate last night, and that seemed to elicit uh, a change in his demeanor and also perhaps your emails as well. Those of you who wrote him, uh, who are fans of his, you can read some of these emails. They posted them over at ShireSociety.com. The folks that wrote El Neal posted what they wrote to him, and some of it was pretty persuasive stuff. Uh, so, the, the, you know, he's been getting input. We've been getting input. I think uh, we'll, we'll probably get a bit more input after he, uh, you know, this weekend, um, you know, he's, well, he's going to do whatever he's going to do, and it should be interesting. He has a proposal that he thinks will satisfy everyone. Uh, I don't know what that's going to be, uh, so we'll find out and we'll let you know as we know more. But there has been uh, the expected publicity that uh, I had actually thanked him for, and of course, you know, it was smarmy of me to do that uh, in advance, because I knew what was going to come from this. I mean, when I saw this come through, I thought, oh my gosh, this libertarian icon Ian smarmy? is uh, is on the attack, and and that's going to result in conflict, and that will result in publicity. Well, as we all know, there are some libertarians who believe in intellectual property because they believe in property, and there were those who don't. So it's an interesting exchange, and who knows, maybe it'll give him an idea for a new book. 
Well, he's talking about writing up an article about this over the weekend. In fact, uh, Stephen Kinsella, who is a patent attorney who opposes intellectual property, wrote up an, his own article about the controversy. And it's really the first significant coverage outside of Free Talk Live that this has really received. And so I just wanted to share some of that with you here. And first, he starts out by promoting uh, how much he likes L. Neil Smith. Uh, this over at Mises.org. I've long been a fan of libertarian sci-fi author L. Neil Smith. I have read perhaps eight or ten of his novels, my favorites being The Probability Brooch and The Galatian Divergence, both of which I highly recommend. The only one of his I disliked, and I disliked it a lot, was Hope, co-authored with Aaron Zellman. I liked it. Uh, I've also praised Smith's great speech, unanimous consent, and the utopian vision, or I dreamed I was a signatory in my maiden form bra, especially for its interesting conclusion about just how much richer we would be in a free society. Then he identifies a couple of other liberty-oriented authors, and he talks about how they've been, historically have been uh, in favor of intellectual property. And he goes on to say that I had no idea that L. Neil Smith was also pro-IP, but apparently he is, as a minor brouhaha yesterday revealed. Apparently, libertarian sci-fi authors, even anarchists like Shulman and Smith, go astray on intellectual property, perhaps in part due to the influence of another novelist, Ayn Rand. Back in 1985 or so, Smith started circulating a new covenant, a declaration of libertarian principles excerpted from his uh, The Galatian Divergence novel. Libertarians were encouraged to copy, sign, and mail it in with a $2 processing and archiving fee. I myself did this back in 1991. Recently, a group called the Shire Society, and he links to ShireSociety.com. Earlier, by the way, when he's mentioning L. Neil Smith and his books, he's linking to those too. So people that want to go and learn more can do that. Which apparently is associated with a heroic New Hampshire-based Free Talk Live radio show. Heroic. That's a new one. Wow. Hosted by Ian Freeman and Mark Edge and the New Hampshire-based Free State Project. All of these are getting links. Free Talk Live, Free State Project. Was formed, as noted here. The Shire Society is a voluntary association of sovereign individuals committed to the ideals of peace and liberty. The Shire Society Declaration is intended to announce their nonviolent withdrawal of consent from the coercive state society. Now, the Shire Society Declaration was based on Smith's New Covenant but was altered, improved, at least in the minds of the advocates of the Shire Society. Smith got wind of this and was upset, since he viewed it as plagiarism, theft, and unauthorized modification of his property. This led to an escalating exchange of emails between him and Ian Freeman and others, as can be seen on this thread. And he links to the Free Keen Forum at ShireSociety.com. After Smith called Freeman socialist scum, demanded restitution, cc'd his lawyer, and threatened to take it public, Freeman announced he would take it live to his national radio program uh, that night, and that was last night, which he did. The MP3 file uh, for that night's show, he links to that. Ian starts discussing the issue at 1 hour 44 minutes until the end of the show, about an hour later. I was asked to call in and did so. Well, he actually emailed to suggest that he, he would like to call in. He was certainly free to do so. We, we always enjoy hearing from Stefan uh, Kinsella, very well-educated guy, has written many, many articles and oh. in, in, in full-length documents did about you, opposing just, intellectual property. Did you just suggest that he wasn't asked to call? Because I actually did. Oh, you did? I didn't I, realize that. I, I, I let him know that there was a, an issue on uh, intellectual ah. property going to be up on the show and that we would welcome his call on the issue. I mean, Thank I wasn't intending to that. set up a call or anything like that. But in my opinion, he's one of the premier uh, thinkers in the oh, area absolutely. in the area of intellectual property. Probably, uh, you know, second to myself. But is that condescending? What do you mean that uh, that he would be second to yourself? I, no. I I really don't know what you mean. <laughs> okay, I see. So anyway, uh, until the end of the show, he says, uh, and about an hour later. 
The thread linked earlier in the podcast discussion is very good and interesting. As I noted, I'm a huge admirer of El Neal Smith and what he's done for liberty. And I can understand him being angry if someone stole from him. But that's the issue for libertarians. Was he stolen from? Asserting he was stolen from presupposes he has a legitimate property right in a pattern of words, i.e. it presupposes that intellectual property is valid. For the libertarian, that is the question itself. Is intellectual property legitimate? To assume there was theft is thus question-begging. To his credit, Smith has run anti-IP pieces on his site previously. But according to some of Smith's emails posted by people in the comments in the FTL thread, he intends to write a defense of IP rights on his site, The Libertarian Enterprise, this weekend. It'll be interesting to see what Smith comes up with, but I can't see how he can justify intellectual property. We'll come back, get a little bit more of Stefan Kinsilla on intellectual property. Get your thoughts as well. This has long been a controversial issue on this program. More coming up. This is Free Talk Live. Become a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 per month. You'll get perks, and you'll help us free more minds worldwide. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. The show is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves. Dial in toll-free. Bring up whatever's on your mind. 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com and enjoy the features there. If you like Free Talk Live and you want to help support the show, learn how to promote us. Go to promote.freetalklive.com and you can get a whole list of things that uh, you can do to get Free Talk Live into more ears. Go to promote.freetalklive.com. And take the startpage.com's seven-day challenge. For seven days, use startpage.com. Instead of your big brother search engine, and experience the difference. You'll get search results aggregated from 12 major search engines, but unlike your old search engine, you'll have complete privacy while you search. Also, their uh, search results have a little proxy link beneath them, and you can uh, you know, have privacy when you go to the website itself. It's startpage.com. You can go over there and get the little, uh, I don't know, so set up so that it's attached to your browser. It's in mine on the upper right-hand corner at startpage.com. They make it very easy for you. All right, so we're talking about some of the uh, the updates, things that have transpired since last night's program where we had an extensive discussion about intellectual property, uh, specifically in relation to uh, L. Neil Smith, a famous libertarian author who has uh, was on the warpath against the Shire Society Declaration, which was originally inspired by his new covenant that he wrote back in the 1980s. It's been up on his website for a while. Uh, so that's kind of what the uh, the controversy was about. Things have since simmered down. Uh, he and his wife and I have exchanged some emails Cooler today. Cooler heads may be prevailing here. Yes, uh, we've exchanged some emails today that uh, were, were nice on both sides. And this was after yesterday where you know, they were demanding that we burn the <laughs> – essentially destroy uh, the Shire Society Declaration. It sounds like you're both set- setting a good example of how people – who are self-governing people can resolve their their conflicts without involving the state and doing it in a gentlemanly uh so far manner. it hasn't been resolved uh, i don't think to his satisfaction yet so we'll see what his proposal will be a little bit later on this weekend but one of the things that has come out of this that uh, i'd hoped would come out of it was some publicity for uh, for free talk live and i was upfront about this last night i know that uh, one of the forum moderators john shaw critiqued me for admitting on the air uh, what my intentions were, but that's what I do. I, I'm honest here. So my intentions were to have this out on the air. I mean, if this guy wanted to publicize, he said he was going to publicize what we had done. And so I said, fine, I'll publicize it too. 
And so we did that. We talked about it for a lengthy period of time. We went into overtime last night on the show, internet only, after the program for a good 40 minutes, I would say, after our normal ended uh, showtime ends. And uh, and so yeah, I mean we we took it public, and I know what that I know what that means. I know that by taking it public, and it was actually uh, John Shaw. He suggested we don't do you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Well, I don't care. I understand that people are going to look at me and they're going to say you condescending a hole. Uh, that's fine. And they're going to look at at El Neal and they're going to say this is outrageous. How could you do this? You're supposed to be a libertarian. You're attacking the movement here. This is ludicrous. So I knew that people would be polarized, and that's okay. That's what talk radio is about: people having opinions and expressing them, and uh, and taking you know a position and talking about it and 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 discussing ideas. And so that's what it led to. It led to that discussion. And of course, intellectual property is a discussion we've had before and will likely continue to have on to the future because nobody is. Not everybody's going to come on one side or the other on this particular on this particular issue. Although I wonder if it's split by age. I wonder if you started looking at you know the the age of the people in the intellectual property discussion. Is it more likely that someone who is older will support intellectual property? I don't know. I'm just asking. I would suspect that's the case because mm-hmm. they ha- they don't have the experience of what it's like to da- be able to download music. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's um, really what's changing the world as far as the ideas of intellectual property. I, I think that intellectual property sort of exists in a way that people think that artists and book writers and, and movie producers and whomever should be compensated for their work and their ideas and all that sure. stuff. But I don't it's it's not the same as regular property. It's not even close. Well, it's, I, it shouldn't have the word property in it. It's so different from regular property. So one of the things that came out of this that I knew and I admitted that I intended to have come out of this and I'd, I'd hoped it would come out. Obviously, I can't control what other people do, but uh, controversy does gener- generally brew coverage and publicity. And for me, I understand that publicity, I'll take it when I can get it. Just you know, make sure you link to my show name correctly, right? Uh, and in this case, in this case, it happened, uh, and maybe there will be more that uh, that brews up as a result of this. But Stefan Kinsella had written an article over at Mises.org, the blog there, which is a fairly popular liberty-oriented website, uh-huh. uh, the Mises Institute. There's a whole institute behind this here, and so he's talking about intellectual property, and uh, he's referring to uh, L. Neil Smith's original covenant that is available on his website, and he's pointing out that uh, Grant, he says first. So Smith, L. Neil Smith, is going to write an essay this weekend on his website, The Libertarian Enterprise, about how he supports intellectual property. And Kinsella says, I just can't see how he can justify it. First, it requires legislation and the state. And he's an anarchist, so can't support that. Second, granting rights in non-scarce things always invades rights in already owned scarce resources. Back in 1991, when I signed Smith's Covenant, I was not yet anti-intellectual property. If I were, I might have realized the words, quote, we shall henceforward recognize each individual to be the exclusive proprietor of his or her own existence and of all products of that existence, end quote, was a Rand-inspired creationist view of property rights that does in fact imply IP rights. And although the framers of the Shire Declaration meant to improve on the New Covenant, they left in the language, quote, we shall henceforward recognize each individual to be the exclusive proprietor of his or her own existence and of all products of that existence. In my view, says Kinsella, the Shire Society Declaration should be further modified to excise or change this language. We are not proprietors of all products of our existence. Oh, leave it to a lawyer, huh? Go ahead. Well, yeah, and, and this was, by the way, this was up for, for weeks as we were discussing this. Well, so I'm sure Stephen Kinsella is scouring the internet. Looking I'm sorry to- he didn't come by it, but I, I'm looking at this, and I'm going to disagree with Kinsella on this. Uh, having read that phrase, that, uh, that you would be 
the, uh, the, the exclusive proprietor of your own existence and the products of that existence. Later on in that very same document, that, in fact, right up in, the, I think, the same sentence, I don't have that in front of me right now, but it does reference how that, uh, you know, you, you're only obligated to someone if you're contracted with them. So I think that cancels out any idea of intellectual property right there. You can say you're the proprietor of the products of your existence, and that's a true statement. I control the things that I create, but you don't have any agreements with me about how you can control the copies of the things that I create, right? So if I sell you a uh, a disc of Free Talk Live archives on it, you can go and put it on the air on your radio station, and I have nothing that I can say about that. It's it's uh, the product of my existence, and I was uh, the proprietor of it, but then you uh, bought it from me, and then you get to do what you want with it. So I don't, I don't see the conflict uh, that he is saying is there. Does that make sense at all, what I'm saying? I... I don't know. It doesn't. Okay, what part doesn't make sense? I, I you know, listening to it, I don't. I can't really tell the difference of what the the two of you are saying. The two of who is saying me and uh, Kinsella? Right. Kinsella is saying that uh, that we're not proprietors of all the products of our existence, and that uh, therefore that that, that, that essentially. Um, that he believes that, that 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 is suggesting that intellectual property exists. That if you're the proprietor of all the products of your existence, that you're suggesting that intellectual property exists. That you should be able to control everything you've ever created as far as they possibly go out into the world, I think is what he's suggesting. Okay. There. And that that conflicts with another part of the document that says that uh, essentially you don't have any agreements with people. If you don't have an agreement with uh, somebody, you can't really – you know, claim they've done you wrong by, uh, you know, taking your product and doing something with it. So uh, my point isn't being- there somewhere included in this that the agreement, though, that uh, that that uh, property and uh, life are important, life, liberty, and property are are important. Isn't that included in the document? Mm, sure, and that you have to consent uh, with others in order to have an agreement with them in the first place. So, I mean, so, the, the the it it really defi- de- defines it pivots on what someone's definition of their property is then. I'm just saying that the Shire Society Declaration, as I understood it, didn't have any suggestion whatsoever of intellectual property. By saying you're the proprietor of the products of your existence, does that suggest that you can control what other people do with those products were they to purchase them from you or somehow get them from you? It does if you have an agreement with them. But if you assume that it, it really it, it, li- it lies in the area of what is property. If you think that intellectual property is property, then um, then, you know, then then you should be able to <laughs> to hold people to that. And if you don't, then it's not. So rather, he says we so have I agree property with uh, Stephen on this one, I think. Uh, rather, I don't know if you really understand it, and I don't know if I've done a good a good job of explaining. But, but anyway, uh, rather we have property rights in our bodies and in all scarce resources homesteaded by us to our ancestors in title, unless and until these rights are altered by an act of aggression or some consensual title transfer. Uh, he said, "I'd like to re- reiterate my respect, admiration, and gratitude for Elmiel Smith and his heroic libertarian activism and wonderful novels. But I disagree with him strongly on intellectual property. We who oppose intellectual property are not collectivists or socialists. In fact, it is precisely because of our reverence for property rights and justice, and our opposition to statism and socialism of all forms, that we oppose intellectual property, as uh, Stefan explains in his articles, Intellectual Property and Libertarianism, and the Case Against IP: A Concise Guide." Because he's got a lengthy guide as well that you can read. It's something like 50 pages long. Uh, he's really done his homework on the issue of intellectual property. So I recommend Stefan Kinsella's work. You can go get more of him over at Mises.org. Hour 3 is coming up. Take control. This is Free Talk Live. Attention. 
all active duty members and veterans of the U.S. military. Your proud service to your country entitles you with the right to participate in special VA loan programs with benefits not available to the general public, like the ability to purchase a new home with no down payment or mortgage insurance, or refi with cash out up to 100% of your present home equity with less strict credit criteria. You are entitled to these benefits. Review them online at varadio.com. This is Tim Lewis from iFreedom Direct and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I want you to know that as a member or veteran of the United States military, you've earned special rights and privileges. On your feet and get the details at varadio.com. iFreedom Direct Corporation is a private lender approved by the VA and licensed in most states. In certain states, certain restrictions and limitations apply. For a current list of licenses, disclosures, and all benefits, go to varadio.com. varadio.com. Talk Live. We're launching into the third hour of the program. You can take control of the airwaves and bring up anything. Dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Joining you tonight, it's Ian. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We give you the features on the site for free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Those other talk show hosts want to charge you for accessing their websites Ours is free, and it allows you to actually influence some of the stuff we'll talk about on the air by submitting different show prep suggestions, whether it be a news item or blog post or video or whatever it is you find online that you think is particularly interesting. You submit it to the site. Other listeners then get the chance to vote up or down, whether they like or dislike. The most liked within a certain period of time will make it to the front page and the top of the website. So see it and get interactive over at freetalklive.com. As we continue here with your phone calls about what you want, last hour uh, the intellectual property discussion continued from last night, and we talked to Alex in New Jersey. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Alex. Ding. I'm just kidding. That wasn't condescending. What's on your mind tonight? All right. Now, uh, I'm going to be asking you to speculate on something so I can understand if you can't really give me a straight answer. Uh, Let's say that you own a company uh, like Coca-Cola, and you have a trade secret, and you do everything in your power to keep it secret, and you've taken all the steps, you know, only the board of directors know how to get the secret, etc. Mm-hmm. And now let's say that a hacker finds a compromised system in your network and publishes the trade secret, but he did no damage to any of your computer systems. They all remained online. All he did was log in, get the information, publish it, and log out. Has theft occurred? I think it's an excellent question. Uh, Wayne's the local security expert. Uh, what do you think, Wayne? Well, I think that a company that, that has some sort of trade secret, sometimes they'll spend quite a bit of money developing it. And if they're not willing to release it to the public and it, it's it's a secret, then if somebody breaks into your computer and steals it, I would think that might be theft. All right. So then wouldn't that um, mean that that the secret is intellectual property? Well, I think that when in, when you call it intellectual property, if somebody's willing to put something out in public, then it's out in public. But how how could you copy um, somebody uh, legally if you're you're really going someplace you don't belong? You're breaking into one of their computers to get something that's their private data at this point because it's not being it's not in the public right, domain. But you still but 
keep in mind that you still have the secret. It's still on the computer system. None of the computer systems have been damaged. So, not, so physically, nothing has been stolen from you. No damage has occurred. Well, uh, then you have to define what a secret is. No. <laughs> right. And, and, and if it's being, I don't really know the answer either. Yeah, yeah that's a tough. And it's, if it's a tough being question. used to damage your competitive position in the marketplace because you're not breaking a lock, you're not breaking any physical property in order to get into the computer server. You are just author. You're, you know, you're you're accessing something you might not be authorized to access. Uh, access, or maybe you find a back door that uh, is just you know wasn't they didn't realize was there that kind of thing. Some companies hire uh, security experts to try to find holes in their security that they can plug up. later. Later on down the line, right? And, uh, and, and it seems and, wrong to do what you're talking about. But on the other hand, is it is it breaking and entering? Is it uh, is it stealing? Uh, that's a good question. This is kind of a, a fringe issue. It's it's right on the borderline, I guess, borderline issue. In that uh, you found a very good one, I, I'd say, Alex. It's I'd say entirely different than me going out and buying a song and then saying that I want to share that song with friends and then you know doing it over the internet. I think that's an you know it's obviously an entirely di- different issue. In one case, um, I made an effort to lock down my trade secret as best I could. Whereas in another one, you know, I'm somehow obligated by force of law to, uh, to 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 do security work for some other company. I don't think that's fair. Well, what what if you broke into somebody's house and you went in their bedroom and you opened up their diary and started reading and you found out some intimate secret about them? That they never released the public. It was in their bedroom. You didn't take the diary. You put it back. But you now you know, and you and you leave the house, and maybe you you spread it around. Is that breaking and entering? Also, well, I, I think it's, it's clearly breaking and entering at that point. Yeah. Right. Mean, it's not hard to to identify what physical breaking and entering is. But is there an actual crime going on when someone logs into an account on a computer that they perhaps? shouldn't have known the password to. You know, if uh, let's say a 13-year-old son of the executive, let's change the, the rules a little bit around here of the scenario, say the 13-year-old son of an executive at KFC uh, manages to find his dad's username and password uh, to get into the secret kernel recipe uh, server, and mm-hmm. he goes in there and he logs in as dad and gets in there and, and you know, takes the kernel's recipe and just puts it out over the, uh, the Internet. Uh, what, what, what's the crime that's been committed there? Because dad left the password out on the computer monitor or something like that, right? Well, he's not an authorized user in the company. He's not an authorized user in the company, but that does that mean that there's actually been a crime committed? Well, I think there's there there, there generally it's, tends to be sort of an assumption that that if you don't belong in there, if you're not authorized, officially authorized by the company to be in a computer, that you are breaking into it. I see where you're coming from. I'm just wondering if it's uh, you know, is it an actual crime? I mean, is it actually is there is there a damaged party? There, there could be, depending on what you do with you're, the information. You're, you're going to make the claim that the um, that the, the the their mark their position in the marketplace has been damaged by the publishing of that trade secret. But then, if you look at real property, like physical property, and you consider some, uh, you, the, your neighbor has a school bus parked on their lawn, that damages your property value. So that also hurts your position in the marketplace. Yeah, but you don't. But you don't have a right to control what your neighbors are doing unless you have some obligations to them, like deed deed restrictions and. Uh, and I, I understand. Like that. I'm just pointing out a similarity. I think in the marketplace, in a free marketplace, that there there might be insurance companies that would handle that sort of thing and make sure. Yeah, that but how do you make restitution? Security- well, wait, wait, how do you make restitution to KFC if they if their uh, Colonel's recipe is released publicly? 
I mean, there's no there's no way that you can figure out. Well, we lost this amount of money this year in sales because Hardy's Chicken decided to come on and rip us off and you know ape our our recipe, and so therefore we speculate that we've lost this much much money. You can't do anything more than speculate. In the same way that L. Neal Smith can't do more than speculate about how many people might have signed his version of the uh, the document that we were discussing last night and tonight uh, versus the people who went to ShireSociety.com to sign the, the Shire Society Declaration. You can't do it yet, but it'll be uh, down the I'm line. I'm just speculating, too. I don't know what the market's going to do. Also, is it unauthorized? I'm calling in to get you guys to speculate. Sure, and I'd love to have the the listeners uh, call it to answer your question. But, I mean, taking the scenario again with a the 13-year-old son of the executive – Daddy left his password unsecured sitting out on the computer monitor, and then son comes along and he reads the information. Does that mean he's unauthorized? He's been given the username and password, and he didn't have to do anything to, uh, to acquire Not it. Not given it. He came across it. Um, but again, and, it's, it's, it's like, you know, you want something to be kept safe. It's, in, it's your responsibility to keep that safe. To some extent. But, I mean, you know, that, 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 I, think that there's, I think there's a middle ground, right? If you leave the keys in your convertible Bentley on Main Street with the top down um, running, <laughs> all right, um, then, you know, maybe somebody's going to steal it. You're but, dope. It, if you put the top <laughs> up, also consider that it may not be in your control because you can certainly be smart about your passwords and not um, and not just lay them around or put them on your monitor. I'm considering the scenario in which you have a security vulnerability in a public-facing network service. That that is you, you your mm-hmm. Microsoft Internet web server, for example. Sure. And somebody cracks in, they get in uh, the, without any sort of uh, without any sort of engineering, social engineering, as it is called, where you kind of uh, finagle right. passwords from people. You know, get get the executive no drunk at the bar. Time and, that that uh, exploit was there. Yeah, I, it's a good question. I thank you for the for making the call tonight, Alex. Uh, throw it out to the listeners uh, at 800-259-9231, The SACL CAI toll free line. Uh, so uh, we sounds can, like stealing to me. It, it it certainly seems wrong. It, it's it seems wrong. I just don't know if it's as tangible, right? Because again, we're it's not easy. About- I mean, when you're, do- you're when you're talking about these theoretical things, like well, like how much money did I lose by my trade secret being stolen? Because the question is, if they really did break in and really did break stuff and stole the trade secret out of a, a safe deposit box, you right. clearly would have a claim. You clearly, but would. what's the claim? How much did I lose uh, because they yeah. took my, um, you know, the the secret to Coca Cola? Not verifiable. There's no way to uh, to ascertain that. Get out the An rope. arbitrator would come up with it. The toll free number eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. The SACL CAI toll free line. Bring up anything. It's Free Talk Live. Have you been thinking about starting a website? I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a worldwide leader for web hosting, and they make it easy to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and templates. Use the coupon code FTL, that's FTL is in Free Talk Live, and sign up at HostGator.com to receive your first month completely free. Whether you want a personal blog or a complete e-commerce business website, let the experts at HostGator.com host you. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want. Take control of the airwaves toll-free. 800-259-9231, the SACL-CAI toll-free line. 
1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com and enjoy all the features there for free, including our webcam. You go to cam.freetalklive.com and you can watch and listen to the program. You can go and actually interact as well. So watch, listen, and chat because our chat room is built into the very same page. Go to cam.freetalklive.com. See it for yourself. It's brought to you by MemoryDealers.com. Yeah, Memory Dealers is your trusted source for all your networking and telecom accessory needs. They even have great prices and service on used networking equipment such as uh, Cisco routers and switches. Um, they offer the world's largest selection of discounted optical transceivers that are 100% compatible with all the major networking equipment manufacturers out there. And they're, some of them are up to 99% off of list price. Uh, they, they also offer customized solutions for your transceiver requirements, including private labeling. It's MemoryDealers.com. All right. Again, the toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. Let's continue with your phone calls about what you want. Neil is in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Neil. Hello. Yes. Uh, just referring to that last little thing we were talking about, the, uh, how easy it is for somebody to break in if they leave the password around or whatever. It's, that's an awful lot like somebody saying, oh, it's okay to rape that girl because she was wearing provocative clothes. It's, it's still No, rape. I don't think that's anything uh, like saying that. I think that uh, you know, rape is a clear, violent crime against another human being, whereas breaking into a computer system uh, doesn't actually necessarily involve uh, victimizing I, I, No, what I'm saying, though, is, is that it's, it's the, uh, the argument that you're making is it's a matter of how easy it is for the, whoever to uh, take the stuff is a, is a very poor argument. Well, I think that it, it's an issue of call. degrees. <laughs> it's an issue of degrees, right? Uh, like certainly, um, you know, to some extent, uh, people have made the argument that, that you're making, and I, I find it fallacious. However, I did make the argument about, uh, you know, a, a Bentley being left running with the keys in it uh, parked on it's Main still, Street. That's still stealing. Sure, it's it's stealing. I but didn't say it wasn't stealing. The expectation is in real life that somebody's much more likely to do so, right? Or, or rather, well, yeah, well... If well, I Mark, leave my million dollars, there. if I leave my million dollars in a suitcase on the sidewalk, do I have a reasonable expectation that I'm going to come back in two hours and get it? That's 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 not the point, actually. That's uh, that's completely off the subject. It was a theft or not? That's the real question. Well, I'm sorry. It's, me, I don't know me, if I agree but, with you that it's that is necessarily theft uh, because again, I think that ideas can be copied. I do agree that it's probably breaking in and uh, to some extent, but it's not necessarily breaking in that anything is actually physically broken. Uh, because it was just right. a system that was gamed. You know, if well, you, let me, if let me you, if you, that's actually that was actually not my the reason I called. That was just the the using the pragmatic argument or the how hard is it to actually get the stuff was was just uh, something I heard while I was on the phone. Uh, I'm actually a software engineer, and if you want to talk about patent abuse, uh, there's there's no place worse than that than in software. When uh, Microsoft applies for a patent to uh, for the page animation, when you have an electronic book, it wants the patent. The, the physical look of a page turning. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's pat- if you'll pardon the expression, it's patently ridiculous. Yeah, uh, patents but, are, but are pretty ridiculous. Against, yeah, yeah, and it's in software especially because uh, it's, it's 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 like it's completely out of hand. And I you know I I have all kinds of problems with that. But uh, let me give you a, yet another scenario, which I mean everybody says, oh well, if I steal a song, it's not really stealing, and the band can they could play concerts and sell T-shirts instead. You know, I think that's again, it's completely off the point. Uh, let me give you one of the most popular albums in the 1970s, the early 1970s, maybe the late 60s, was something called "Switched On Bach" by Walter, now Wendy Carlos. Uh, he he couldn't perform that 
uh, live because he had a Moog synthesizer. He had exactly one note at a time, one effect that he could do at a time. It took him literally years to put that album together. And if he wanted, excuse me, if he wanted to make a performance, he'd have to go up there with a his own record and play mm-hmm. it and say, "Look, see, this isn't this cool." And and not very many people buy T-shirts about box synthesizers, quite frankly. Sure, just, sure, yeah. There's no other way you could have made money off of that. But well, to say I, I, that, well, he, he put all this effort in, but he can, you know, it's okay for me to take it because it's well, intellectual Well, sorry, property. you don't have want to go case copy. by case. I would like to point out that um, the sort of the rap movement of the early 80s was largely mm-hmm. based on sampling. So what, um, you know, so saying, using the intellectual property laws as they exist today would have essentially destroyed all of that same art. So if you want to go case by case, there's arguments to be made on the other side, well, right? Right, and, and besides that, uh, you know, to suggest that the only way that an artist would be able to profit is uh, is through sales of albums, maybe that's the case in in his in his one example, and in maybe some other people's example. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, he could still profit if people desire his product and people recognize him as the creator of that product uh, because people would understand that if they don't buy the album that he's not going to make another one. And I think that the people that are online sharing files, most of them understand this. That uh, I mean, you can even look at hacked software and cracked software. Even the crack groups uh, will put admonitions in their software uh, NFO files saying that, hey, if you like the software and you use it, you should buy it. And I think a lot of the people that uh, that do these things that trade music over the internet understand that if they don't buy the the band's product that that they're not going to come back and release a second or third or fourth album right and i just, i understand that i just uh, again it's that's an argument from pragmatism that's not a uh, it's not really a well, moral how about argument pragmatism on this let's say that i run a karaoke uh, a gig and i don't pay ascap bmi fees cuz i'm just getting started out and uh, somehow some ascap bmi rep happens to be in the bar that i'm at that evening or maybe you don't just don't believe in paying criminal gangs whatever um and i've you know i got <laughs> 200 stinking dollars for my uh, for my evening maybe 100 um, 200 stinking dollars for my evening of doing karaoke in this bar in this relatively snow, s- slow bar in this relatively um, you know small metro and uh, you know th- then the ASCAP BMI rep they come after they sue me for twenty thousand dollars is now let's talk about pragmatism here no I, and uh, by the way I understand, I understand and I agree with that particular thing what uh, I would let you know that I am violently ambivalent about intellectual property. I, I really, uh, uh, for example, I'm uh, an Austrian economist by uh, inclination. They are against IP, but I'm also an author. I would like to sell my book. Um, <laughs> it's a, I am a software engineer. I would like my software to be protected. Your but challenge I, you know, is I, I to come up with ways. Your challenge way to do it. Right. Your challenge, Neil, is to come up with ways to sell your book that don't involve aggressing against uh, people via the oh, government system. No, I, I system. understand. I'm, right. I'm letting you know that. But for, for example, sure. they made a book, uh, a movie that is that is that's my book and it's my name and so on and so forth. You know, that I would I would definitely have some hard feelings about that and. Uh, you know, I would again. I would. It would be. It would be very difficult for me to 
to uh, to take that lying down, so to speak. You, you might be able to so, argue, yeah, this is, you this might be able to argue that uh, that if somebody was using your ideas to profit, that you might have a better case in in that in that case. And who knows what uh, private market arbitrators would would end up deciding in cases like that. Uh, but the one thing that you said that really bugs me is the idea that you know this guy that's spending a year to create an album puts in all this time and that he deserves oh, to be it. rewarded for that effort. And I I know that you know that's that's fallacious because well I can go and put in a bunch of effort on something that's absolute crap uh, and no one's going to buy it even though I put a bunch of effort in uh, there's no guarantee that I will profit from putting in effort into something well no what I what I was saying is a little bit different than that because I, I put in two years on my book and it might be total crap I don't know yet um, my wife likes it but that, that's one person <laughs> what I'm saying though is that it does have value and people are willing to steal it and put it out there and, and play it on the radio and so on and so forth it clearly has value if it's got that um, value then it'll be purchased by the people that are willing to pay for it and you'll do alright if you can find they say now if you can find a thousand people these days that are real fans of what you do you'll be fine you'll live uh, very well thanks for the call more coming up this program is brought to you by freekeen.com freekeen.com features audio video and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard freekeen.com This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever's on your mind. Dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com and enjoy the features there. Uh, we've got our Shrine of Female listeners with the dozens of ladies who've taken the time to send in their validated photo to show they are listeners of this program or video. You can show us, show us on video as well. Go get all the details about what that means at shrine.freetalklive.com. You're being researched online every day, and it's affecting your life whether you realize it or not. You, uh, so know and control what the Internet says about you. Reputation Defender will continuously monitor everything about you on the web, including 40 social networks. It will remove your personal information from websites that sell and collect it, uh, protecting your privacy. It will even allow you to stop unwanted mail from reaching your mailbox. Go to MyReputation.com to find out more. It's MyReputation.com. Use co- promo code FREE, F-R-E-E, and get a, a special discount at MyReputation.com. Control how people perceive you online and uh, get the f- web working for you at MyReputation.com. We continue here with your calls and go to, I believe we've got uh, Stefan Kinsella on the line in Texas. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Stefan. Hey, Ian. How you doing? Hey, super. What's on your mind? Hey, I just wanted to call in. I heard a little bit of the last uh, 20 or 30 minutes and uh, just had a couple comments on the... Um the kind of hypothetical about the uh, the break-in of the computer system, that kind of issue. Sure. <clears throat> you guys are kind of struggling with the sort of the right way to handle it, and I've heard this argument before. The argument that the, the IP advocate tries to argue that um, the only basis to go after someone who stole a trade secret from you is the idea that there's IP after all. And I think there's a simple way to handle that, and it's simply that if you break into someone's house, then you're committing trespass. That is theft. That's a, that's a type of... Uh, uh, misuse of someone's property without their consent, which is mm-hmm. what theft is. And then if they take a trade secret when they're there and expose it, then that just goes to the damages that they owe you. In other words, there's types, different types of damage that can flow from an act of crime or a trespass. So if they release a, t- a secret that hurts you financially, then that would just be taken into account in the damages of the crime, and the crime was trespass. And so in the, in the, a similar thing would apply, in my view, in the case of some kind of um, um, 
unauthorized remote computer entry. You're, even if you do it remotely, like see the password case, although it was clouded by the issue of the father and the son and all that, if someone uses uh, uh, means against your consent to control your computer remotely, it's still a type of trespass in my view, which is why I think even spam can be considered to be a type of trespass. Well, okay, if spam <laughs> is a type of trespass, then what are the damages? What about junk mail in your bail box? Yeah, I think that can be considered a type of trespass. There have been even some cases that have ruled on this, like the CompuServe and the Cubby case and things like this. Would the damages be the amount of time you had to take to click the delete button on the spam? I mean, what are the damages there? I think nowadays the damages are pretty minimal, uh, to be honest, for that. But in the past, it was like the, the, the plaintiff would have been CompuServe or some large service that had, a, you know, they had slowed down their servers or they mm. lost business because of it or they had to install more capacity. So there'd be a way to measure it on an individual basis. It would probably be pretty trivial. But if you broke into, if you hacked into someone's computer remotely and you stole a trade secret from it, then the damage would be, you know, whatever damages flowed from that. Which of course would be completely uh, likely arbitrary because how can you prove, you know, the damages from a trade secret being released? Well, how do you prove the damages to murder? I mean, you know, if if you were trying to figure out what someone's life is worth, uh, you know, it's 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 arbitrary. So I'd say some people's lives are worth more than others. True, but this just that's just a problem of damages in a free society anyway for any type of crime. I mean, it's no different in this case. So, but the, but the point is, if you break into someone's computer, that is an act of theft. It's not theft of the trade secret. It's misuse of their property or use of their property without their consent. And then the damages would be, you know, what, what damages flowed to you because of that. You know, just like if you, if you punch someone and they have a thin skull and you kill them, then it's murder. If you punch them and it, it just barely phases them, then the damages would be less. But the action is still aggression in both cases. Makes sense. Okay. And breaking into somebody's computer is, is really a form of aggression, if you think about it. That's <laughs> yeah. how I would, th- I would view it. Well, yeah, I see where you're coming from. So it would really depend on the actions in each individual case. So, for instance, if you broke into someone's home and you admired their oriental rug that they had hanging on the wall uh, and then went out the, uh, you know, went out the front door and you, you didn't damage anything, then there'd be very little uh, that uh, could be done about that uh, beyond you know, whatever arbitrary amount. But it would be a larger arbitrary amount if you actually had gone in and stolen the uh, the oriental rug off of uh, the wall. And I think that's correct. But I would say that if you break into someone's house, even if you just walk in and you stay there for ten minutes and you leave, there's still some kind of damages, and they might not even be minimal. Uh, just like uh, take something more severe, like a case of rape. Let's say a woman is raped while she's asleep or knocked out, mm-hmm. and she wakes up and she discovers she's been raped, and she she knows what happened. But there's no physical damage. It's just the fact that it happened. Now, you wouldn't say the guy gets off the slap on the wrist because... No, clearly. I mean, there's a certain right. violation of uh, the sanctity of one's person in that case, or in, exactly. the, in the case of the breaking and, would... and entering the sanctity of one's uh, home. Exactly. So I agree and, with and, that. And, one, and this is a different topic, but one way you could measure it, in my view, is just with a retaliation or an eye-for-an-eye type of view. What did the guy do? He broke into your dwelling without your permission. So that means he's basically giving you permission to do something similar back to him. He sort of agreed to that sort of rule. And you can use that idea to come up with a more objective measure of damages. Like, you know, how much would he be willing to pay to bargain his way out of a similar type of offense or violation done back to him? Interesting thoughts tonight, uh, Stefan. I, uh, I certainly appreciate it. Oh, I posted a comment over, a good idea. over on your uh, Mises article, the blog, about uh, the, uh, the controversy that bubbled up on the show last night. You actually uh, misquoted the Shire Society Declaration in, uh, in your text there. And that's what Mark and I were arguing about uh, in the last, uh, the last segment. And maybe we want to rehash it real quick since you're on the phone. Sure. Uh, your suggestion in, uh, in your piece was that there's this Rand-inspired creationist view of property rights that implies that IP rights exist, 
that we carried over from our ins- the, the document that inspired the Shire Society Declaration. Uh, and the actual text from the Shire Society Declaration is as follows. First, each individual is the exclusive proprietor of his or her own, his or her own existence and all products thereof, holding no obligations except those created by consent. Now, I think Mark made a, a decent case that one who believes in intellectual property could still probably sign something like that. But on the other hand, to me, that seems to be pretty explicitly anti-IP because consent is required uh, for an obligation in the first place. Oh, I see. Uh, I'd have to look at it more closely. Was that second part about consent not in the original New Covenant of Neil, Shul, uh, of Neil Smith? Yeah, there's some some different wordplay uh, going on there. And again, you can take a look at the, the detail over on uh, your blog post. It, it may be vague enough not to cause a problem. I just thought that it suggested that you own products of your life, which is sort of similar to the wording Galambos used. And it does imply a type of IP, but but it doesn't. I definitely have to, see I the yeah. I definitely see where the conf- the confusion came from. But it's like you know, what do we do, right? <laughs> These right. darn human documents. We can never get them right. And the Constitution, <laughs> you know, they tried their best. And at this point, this one's done and it's signed, and uh, most people are pretty happy with it. So okay, good. Thanks, Stefan. I appreciate Thank you being you on. Thanks as always for the thoughts uh, and the expertise at eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Let's. Stefan Gonzalez seems like he's becoming a chronic caller here on Let, Free Talk Live, huh? Let's break up the uh, the IP discussion here briefly. Talk to Matthew in California. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Matthew. Oh wow! I need a Red Bull after that conversation. <laughs> 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 I'm the only. I'm just teasing, guys. Um, Good evening, by the way. I'm just calling because I live in San Jose, California, and uh, on the front page of our newspaper, there are two cop stories, which really ticked me off. The first one is about a guy who ran a red light, uh, flees from the police through downtown San Jose. Thank God it was summertime because usually San Jose State's right there and there's a million people crossing the street. But the guy runs an intersection, and uh, I just read the newspaper, what began as a California Highway Patrol pursuit over a red light violation ended in a two-car collision in downtown San Jose on Tuesday that injured five people and killed a 15-year-old girl. Mm. Um, and it's just like, why? You know, and then uh, right below that story, a man violently detained in a case of mistaken identity. A 23-year-old man, of course, he hires an attorney, but walking into his neighborhood convenience store, Henry Stevens Ambatador, sorry, I'm butchering his name, uh, hope it would be his lucky day, and actually it is, because now he's going to sue the city and win. Um, but instead of walking out with three cherries and a thousand bucks, Armador was violently busted by San Jose police uh, officers, who afterward, the sergeant reportedly unlocked the handcuffs and helped clean off the blood off his face and apologized. Turns out it was a, they busted the wrong guy. And, and so wow. all this guy's done, yeah, it's just like... This is my city, you know, and it really makes me want to sign up for the Free State Project. You aren't signed up yet? Freestateproject.org. See, thank you for the call tonight. It's a surprise that the cops actually apologize to the guy. That rarely happens. Free Talk Live. You can listen to Free Talk Live on the radio via podcast, the webcam, and our live streams at freetalklive.com. Not enough options? Now you can listen to Free Talk Live from any phone, anywhere. Add this number to your phone, 760-569-7752. It's a long-distance call, so make sure you're familiar with your phone's calling plan. The Free Talk Live listen lines are airing the latest episode of Free Talk Live 24 hours a day, including our live shows. Call 760-569-7752. That's 760-569-7752. This is 
Free Talk Live. Only moments remain. Um, probably not enough time for your calls. Our website is freetalklive.com. You can go there, unless you're already on the line, which you might be. Uh, but you can go to freetalklive.com. You can get interactive uh, with our other listeners there and download archives, listen live, etc. It's all free for you. So enjoy all that freetalklive.com. Uh, but there is a way that you can voluntarily support the show. You know, We're that new model of uh, product where we put our product out, you download it free, you enjoy it free, and then if you like it, you can step up and support the show by becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier. And as of today, uh, I think uh, it has been announced now over our updates list and now is being announced on the air that I have repurposed the Free Talk Live AMP program. Kind of been alluding to uh, this over the last couple of weeks a little bit. But basically, the Free Talk Live AMP program started back in 2005 uh, as an idea that was borrowed <laughs> from another uh, podcast, the the guys over at Twit actually inspired uh, Johnson, one of our uh, former co-hosts, to come up with the idea. They were, I think, asking people for like two bucks or something like that uh, from their listeners. And he came, he came to me and said, hey, this is a pretty good idea. We should use it. So we did. We borrowed his idea and we created the AMP program. We created different tiers, 3, 5, 10, 25. And then you can also customize it to whatever number you want if you want to do something different than uh, those tiers. So we created these different tiers, and we came up with some perks and some benefits uh, the amplifiers would get. And over time, there was a, a few more added to the list. So now you can, as an amplifier, you receive the uh, recorded commercial-free podcast. Uh, so you can get also the amp-only forum, uh, also the amp-only call-in lines. So we've added some perks over the years. And over the years, we've also had these milestones we created where at each amount of amp dollars where you know you're given three bucks a month to the show and so are a bunch of other people that means we got at some point five hundred thousand two thousand we're now at around thirty eight uh thirty eight hundred dollars thirty seven hundred dollars per month coming in from amp and thank you so much uh to everybody that has com- uh, contributed and is contributing and will contribute to the free talk live amp program because you are making it possible you're the reason why we're on 80 radio stations today instead of eight it's because of the Free Talk Live amplifiers, listeners like you stepping up and contributing three bucks a month to the show. So we have these uh, different tiers and these these what we call milestones where once we reached uh, $750, we started releasing classic archives. Uh, once we reached $2,000, we increased the quality of the archives. Once we hit $2,500, we released the webcam. Uh, $5,000 was uh, the 24-7 streams. $7,500 was a satellite channel. And uh, so what ended up happening was, well, we got to them all before we actually reached the milestone. So the total amount in the AMP program never actually ended up reaching uh, most of those milestones. We just, I just implemented whatever I could when I could. Whenever I had enough money personally or through AMP or whatever to just go ahead and do whatever it was we were right, going to do. Right, those were goals of ours as, uh, yeah. as much as anybody else's and we wanted them to happen. Right, we just set arbitrary amounts for, oh, we think this should happen then. Oh, well, it turns out that it happened thousands of dollars beforehand and so we just went with it because well it makes us more competitive if we offer more services and free stuff and uh, and features then that just means that more people are more likely to enjoy our website etc so uh, so basically we've we've run out of milestones <laughs> we, we've we've reached the milestones with the exception of the very final ten thousand dollar a month uh, goal which still exists but all of the little interim uh, milestones are they're, they're done so I posted over at Facebook today and on the, the the updates list that we're repurposing the free talk live amp programs now the FTL LRN AMP program, the Free Talk Live and Liberty Radio Network AMP program. And I figure, well, we've already benefited significantly from the generosity of our listeners. 
and the amplifying dollars that have come in. So let's start, you know, helping these other shows benefit. I mean, the purpose of creating the Liberty Radio Network in the first place was to help expose uh, the people that listen to this show and uh, people around the world to other liberty-oriented programs. Because I understand, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I get it that Free Talk Live is just one of many. And that we are maybe not the most persuasive in some ways. Maybe we're very persuasive in others. Maybe we're good at communicating some things, but not so good at communicating others. Maybe our style doesn't uh, turn on everybody. Certainly, I know that's the case. I know that we can't satisfy everyone with this program. But maybe between us and, uh, you know, Stefan Molyneux or uh, Mark Stevens or Ernie Hancock or, you know, these different people that we have over at LRN.FM, these different show hosts with different styles and techniques and communications methods, maybe they will be more successful at Gardner Goldsmith. Uh, in bringing other people on board who normally might be turned off by Free Talk Live or, you know, would get tired of Free Talk Live or whatever. Uh, that way more people could find the message of liberty. That was my intention. And so now with the Free Talk Live AMP dollars, we've launched our satellite channel, uh, which we were going to do at 7,500, and we never even came close to that. That's now – it's already on the air. So that benefits all of the people that are on the Liberty Radio Network because they're getting out there to more listeners. And so similarly – uh, I figured we'd just add in the Liberty Radio Network to the AMP program. So now uh, your three bucks a month is going to benefit not just Free Talk Live, but it'll also help get all those other great shows that are on LRN into other people's ears. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. So go to amp.freetalklive.com, get signed up, get access to the perks. They're still the same, same great perks. And over at Facebook, you can suggest other possible milestones because I'm out of ideas. I mean, I got the satellite channel. We've got the webcam. Uh, you know, we've got all kinds of archives. The archives are going back to 2006. I mean, I'm out of ideas. I don't have anything else. So you can share your archives ideas back with to 2002. Yeah, that, that, that's possible. Well... That's it's possible, Mark, but uh, would be fairly uh, pricey because one of the nice things about the archive situation is the folks over at Libsyn, which is our host for the archives, they archive stuff forever. So we pay them for it's it's a really great deal that they've got over there. Uh, we pay them monthly to archive fifteen hundred megs of stuff. So. It's theoretically possible that we could cross that line at some point and then have to go up into their higher tiers. But once you pass the 30-day mark, whatever's at that day 31 gets put into their archive system permanently. So it's not like you just have 1,500 megs at any time. You just get 1,500 megs per month that you can add in to their system just constantly, day after day. <laughs> it's just going the in there. It, like, there's so, it's, so really, there's no limit to how far back it can go, except apparently there is. Like somewhere in 2006... I haven't really figured out when it ends. Like, I thought it was in April, but now it's in November. So I'm not sure how far back those archives go. They supposedly go back for as long as you've been uploading stuff to their to their servers. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know it goes back a ways. Uh, beyond that, Mark, it would require us to begin uploading all of the uh, the stuff prior to 2006 to some sort of server, pay extra for the, the space, well, certainly could, as possible. You could upload them to Libsyn and then archive them in a you know, uh, as long as you don't go over the 15 megs. Yeah. You could uh, do them... We're Sort of day we're by pretty day. much right. We're pretty much right at our limit right now. Like okay. just doing the occasional extra show, the the occasional extended edition mm-hmm. is at risk of putting us over our limit right now. Okay. Uh, so that's a possibility, though. I mean, with enough money, we could do something like that. I just don't know if that's where we should be spending our amp dollars because three flipping years of archives is a, lot. A, is a lot of content. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to listen to 21 hours of brand new shows every single week with three hours, seven night a week shows, uh, but to go back into those archives, pretty difficult. Plus, you know, I'm just not the same person I was back then, so not really me anymore. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, so uh, we Absolutely. Can, like, even back to 2006, I'm not the same guy. 
Uh, so we continue. None with, of us are. Yeah, exactly. So we go to your calls here and talk to Mike in Florida. Mike, you're on Free Talk Live. Ian Wayne and Mark. Mike? Hey, guys. How, you, how you doing? What's on your mind tonight? Oh, as, as, as much as I'm struggling to survive in this economy, I'm, I'm going ha- to sign up to be an amplifier. It's just you guys are doing such a great thing. I'm going to sign up tonight. Thank you so much. What else no is on your problem. mind? Uh, I love the show. I'm totally hooked. I listen every night. We are uh, very listen, glad about that. So what else? Uh, yeah, I was listening to your show last night, and I heard you made a comment about how you guys are always popping off fireworks and whatnot, and uh, I believe the guy wanted to walk the other person's dog. It came up in that in that story. And, and that made me think about a question that I always, ha- I always struggle with on property rights, and I, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on it. All right, go. And... Um, I know, Ian, I know you're from Florida, and I'm in Florida. Mm-hmm. So I know you're familiar with these kind of neo-traditional communities that are, you know, prevalent everywhere in Florida. Like the, they, da- they the cram- gated community, communities the gated that look the community same. gated community where they cram yeah. everybody together, and it, yeah. they kind of put some commercial properties in there. Absolutely. And- I'm going to have to ask you to bang that question out because I'm sorry I blathered on too long about the AMP program. So okay. really just so my question quick. is is that in these communities where the sidewalks are really close to the homes and mm-hmm. and there's literally only two two feet of property in front of the house from the sidewalk, um, my question is I, there was a case a couple of years back where a man went downstairs uh, to get his coffee and he went downstairs naked mm. and there was a woman walking her children on the sidewalk across uh, you know walking in front and the children saw the naked man she called the police <laughs> one thing led to another. They, they arrested him for indecent exposure. That was in South Carolina. So my Carolina, question to you, which exonerated. relates to the fireworks, is where does one person's property rights kind of end? I mean, don't you have the right to go downstairs in the nude if you want in your own home? I say yes, again, you do. But then again, don't you have some sort of expectation to not see something like that no, if you're walking you, your... No, you don't. I think that if you're in a private, deed-restricted neighborhood and there's a rule against nudity in your front yard, uh, then then no, you don't have the right because you've agreed to not. But if I'm in my front yard, I should be able to walk out get the newspaper completely naked, sunbathed naked, whatever I want to, because I don't have an agreement with uh, the neighbors. We can get into detail on that tomorrow night if you'd like, and I thank you for the call and the thoughts, and thanks in advance for amplifying the program. Yeah, I don't know about the whole sunbathed nude. If you want to protect your kids. If you put up a privacy fence in your backyard, I'm with you. But a front yard, nude, sunbathing, no. I was Ah! out getting my mail in my boxers the other day. The following edition of the Edgington Post interview series is brought to you by the Free Talk Live AMP program. Become a Free Talk Live amplifier today for as little as three bucks a month. Get perks and help us get on more radio stations and more internet connections at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. And here's Mark. All right, it's another edition of the Edgington Post, and today I have with me not just your normal interview, but a friend of mine. Um, It's Benjamin Powell. Uh, He's a professor at uh, Suffolk University over in Boston. Is that right, uh, Benjamin? Ben? That is. It's good to be with you, Mark. Okay, so can I call you Ben in this? Uh, I I think you go by Benjamin professionally, but... Ben is fine. It'll make make it easier for me. (laughs) Works for me. So um, you have uh, published an article. It's over at uh, econlib dot org and um, it's uh, the Library of Economics and Liberty, and it's yep. on Im- immigration and Arizona's uh, passage of their immigration law. Um, t- t- tell our listeners about it. Uh, so this is on uh, EconLib, and it's an economic case for uh, open immigration, basically. And while uh, the Arizona law motivated, you know, the current 
uh, public policy discussion over this. The, the lessons from the article that I was working on there are basically more universal for immigration. Basically, I think in the public discourse on this, uh, a lot of people spend a lot of time arguing about things that the economics of immigration just doesn't justify. So common objections would be that they're a drag on our economy, that, you know, they steal our jobs, the South Park objection, you know, to uh, immigration, uh, or they make Americans poorer by depressing their wages. And all of these things are fallacies that simply aren't true and or supported by uh, mainstream economic theory. Wait, uh, before you go on, um, somebody's probably holding the objection in their head, but he can't be right. You're professor of economics, Right. I am. I don't want to be right by my title, though. If I understand. Want, do, do Agreed. Uh, you don't. You don't have to explain. I'm just. Uh, you, I mean, maybe you should go into it. Uh, you know, give an overview. But I just. It, it always amuses me when when people say, "No, you can't be right." Go on. Yeah. So just let's hit the first point first. Net drag on our economy. Yeah. Simply not true. And this is consensus opinion of not just you know libertarian economists, but mainstream economists and even economists who are at, attack immigration usually. So George Borjas is an economist at Harvard University and is probably the most accomplished uh, critic of immigration. And by his own estimates, uh, he puts the net, ben- net benefit of immigration to the U.S. economy of about $22 billion a year, but that calculation is a little dated. If you use his exact method and update for current numbers, it's about $36 billion, which while it's a net gain and $36 billion is cool, let's be honest, we have a $14 trillion economy, so it's a rather modest gain, but still sure. a net gain. And that's coming from an economist who's made a career attacking immigration. And now, uh, what does this net gain come from, the, the fact that they live in houses, drive cars, and eat food? The fact that they come here and produce. So it's a net gain just like you get from international trade, okay. uh, so that immigrants come here and have skill sets different than our own and make us more productive. Got it. Next so, point. Next one that they bring up often is, you know, this is probably the most popular one you see in the press, or even, you know, Lou Dobbs is famous for this one, too. They, they take our jobs. They steal our jobs. So let's do a thought experiment here. So, well, first, the reason for this is obvious. You know, uh, this is a radio show, so you don't have a TV camera to put on these people. But you could just as well put one on the radio. When the news sees a person lose their job to the immigrant, it's very easy to put the camera on them and say, look, this person used to work in, you know, pick your industry, construction. Yep. They call uh, they call the show. They say, "Look, I'm in construction, and uh, you know things things are tough, and and uh, the immigrants will work for half of what I do, and I just I can't compete, and I don't have a job anymore." So right. that's a very obvious person who obviously loses his job directly to competing with an immigrant. But these people also get reemployed at other places, sure. doing things they're better suited for. But the problem is when they get the new job, we don't know if that new job was created by demands created by immigration, Mm -hmm. uh, because basically there's new jobs popping up all the time in the economy for a variety of reasons, Uh, you know, technological change, shifts in preferences, international trade, immigration, all sorts of reasons. So we have a classic case of what Bastiat would call the seen and the unseen. Uh, And what is seen is the obvious, someone lost their job. What's unseen is where they get reemployed and how immigrants create the demand for jobs. Right. So let's do a little thought experiment here. If it were literally true, adding more people to our economy on net displaced existing workers, what would the history of the United States look like the last 60 years? There'd be a so, lot less people working. I mean, there have been people, you know, the, the country's been growing, whether they're, they're born here, they move here, or, um, you know, they, they move out of the, 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 uh, the homemaker position, whatever it is. Uh, I mean, they're coming in and they're, they're taking jobs, right? Yeah, by post-World War II, you have massive entry of women into the workforce, baby boomers into the workforce, and post-1965 immigrants into the workforce. So we go from, we basically triple the number of workers in our economy. We go from about 60 million in 1950 to about 150 million today. Yet 
where's the long-term increase in unemployment? Sure, right now we have a little business cycle where in a recession you have higher unemployment. But if you look from 1950, the unemployment rate was about 5%. When you look in 2007, just before the downturn, it was 4.6%. There's basically no long-term increase. Basically, add more people, you add more jobs. Because all these people we add also want goods and services. What about the robots? When I was in, when it was the '80s, they said we can't have robots in car factories. Those cars must be put together by drunk union workers. Right. So we actually, we shouldn't even give those drunk union workers hammers then, because that might make them more productive too. If we made them bang the rivets in with rocks, <laughs> think how many more jobs we could have. It's absurd. When we when we replace workers with technology or workers with immigrants, what we do is we free up those workers to use their skills for something that they're better suited for. Okay, <laughs> next point. So, so this leads us into the, the, the next question, then. Well, what about wages? So it's got to depress wages. In right. fact, uh, one time when I wrote an article on this, I got attacked by somebody, and they wrote me an interesting email that said, you said that uh, immigration doesn't depress wages. Apparently, you've never heard of supply and demand, which is an acu- a curious thing to accuse an economics professor of. Especially uh, an Austrian the- economics professor. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, some of them might not use supply and demand. That's <laughs> uh, a side point. But uh, basic, his basic argument was if you increase the supply of labor, sure, you might add workers so it, doesn't, it creates more total jobs, but it's got to depress the price for those workers. It's got to push down the wages. problem is when economists look at this empirically, they just don't pick it up. There's not systematic evidence of a depression of wages. In fact, the only place economists find it, and this is contentious, is only if you look at the wages of high school dropouts in the United States. And even there, some economists find a slight positive effect on their wages, but the worst is like negative 8%. But overall, for most Americans, you don't find any evidence of decreasing wages. So answers are, there's like a few different reasons for this. One, you're not increasing the supply of labor. It's not like we're all homogeneous people who have the exact same talents and skills. When an immigrant comes in, they have a different skill set than what an existing American does. And if that's the case, they might be making our labor more productive, complementing what we do, rather than substituting for us. So just casual evidence on this, about two-thirds of all people without a high school diploma in the United States are immigrants. Flip side, the vast majority, or I don't want to say the vast majority, uh, but close to two-thirds of those people with PhDs in the United States are also foreign-born. Mm. So whether you're very high skill or very low skill, a lot of those are immigrants. What the American labor force looks like is, if you're going to do a picture to it, it looks more like a diamond. There's some very high-skilled people, some very low-skilled, most are in the middle. If you look at immigrants, they look more like an hourglass. There's a lot of high-skilled ones, there's a lot of low-skilled, and there's fewer in the middle. And as a result, that means they're making our labor freed up to do things we're relatively better at. Uh, actually, myself, I've directly experienced this before. When I lived out in California for a while, I hired an immigrant crew to uh, create a to level a backyard and put in a patio that I was thinking of doing myself. But as it turns out, it would have taken me forever once I saw how much dirt they pulled out of there. You hate America. Uh, <laughs> not at all. Uh, <laughs> you yeah, funny. Uh, but uh, what it freed me up to do then is I got a consulting project at the same time uh, to write a new consulting report, uh, I think, on economics of housing. It wasn't immigration. And as a result, I didn't have to do my backyard. Instead, I did what I was better suited for, which was write the housing study. And they did what they were better suited for, level my backyard. Level on the that, American dreams more like it. <laughs> level the backyard and free <laughs> me up to uh, hopefully make the world on net uh, wealthier by one policy report, if it was any good. Uh, which hopefully it was. 
The so, other thing is, the, I, go ahead. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I was I was just going to uh, move on to. There's an objection that I get on the show on, on a regular basis, which is that. Um, you know what we say on the show is free people should be able to cross the borders of free countries freely, and if you can't do that, you can't claim to be free. And the what we'll get is an objection, and we we always, of course, say that free people don't have to pay welfare, schooling, or medical bills for other free people; otherwise, they're not free. But what we'll get the objection is, well, the the yeah, sure, the welfare system's broken, but until we can fix it, we shouldn't let immigrants cross the border until then. Until then, we should build a giant police state temporarily while we dismantle the uh, the the what the welfare state. And you know, I can see some of the uh, I can I can see the point that these people are making. What do you, what would you how do you rebut that? So I think this is the biggest misconception that some people who I would otherwise say libertarians have about immigration. And it comes straight from the mouth of a famous classical liberal, Milton Friedman. In an interview, he said, it's just obvious. An open immigration policy and a welfare state are incompatible. And I think there's two responses to this. One is, actually, if you look at what the welfare state is, it's mostly about the sick and the elderly, at least as structured in the United States. A vast majority of the welfare state spending goes to them, not to actually poor people. They're a much smaller group. Immigrants who come in, by and large, are younger people who are healthier and work. So it's not clear that, at least in the short run, that it's a net drain on the welfare state. In fact, to the extent that I'd make an argument against immigration, it might be that it makes Social Security more sustainable in the short run because you continue the Ponzi scheme. That would be a bad aspect of it. Yes. Now, beyond that, though, let's even say in the long run, if it were true that immigrants paid less in taxes than they consumed in social services over their life, the libertarian response to this should be so much the worse for the welfare state. So let's think about an analogy. So since the 1960s, anyway, we've had creeping socialism in health care in the United States, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, we have. Cre- creeping and sometimes running. So some people respond to this. Well, because of that, your consum- consumption of health care spills over onto other people, so therefore we should regulate, you know, what you can smoke, how much you can smoke, what you can put in your body for foods, fatty foods. I think almost all libertarians say, no, that's absurd. We oppose those regulations, and we oppose the socialization of medicine. Well, the same should be true on immigration. Because we have a welfare state, we shouldn't move away from the libertarian policy of open borders on immigration. What you should spend your time doing is fighting to hack back the welfare state. Otherwise, as famous economist Ludwig von Mises put it in his Dynamics of Interventionism, you're basically each intervention you have gives you an undesirable, uh, unintended consequence, and you have to do new interventions to deal with that, and you plunge down the middle of the road policy ends up moving you down the road to serfdom. And that's not the direction we want to be running. We want to push it the other way. Indeed. I mean, it's, it seems the, it's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Libertarians... For that matter, I- just think about logical consistency on this one for a second, too, Mark. So... No, I don't do that really, Ben. The objection is always about spilling over your costs onto other people, right? Yeah. So let's have a thought experiment. Let's say I have an Irish cousin who lives in Ireland. Okay. And he's, you know, in his 20s, and I want to invite him to my house so he can come here and work. Okay. Now, people would say he might end up being a burden on the welfare state, therefore we can't let him in. But those same people would let me freely procreate with my wife and create a new kid who is on net, going to be a net tax consumer for at least his first, first 18 years. Why shouldn't we have requirements for regulating births then? Because your child would be a real American, and Jesus loves Americans. Whether Jesus or not, economics doesn't <laughs> differentiate between a native-born or a foreign-born. Just because you're on a different line, that a, on the different side of a line, some politician once drew on a map, 
doesn't change your interactions. Yeah, uh, you know, speaking logic sounds great and everything, Ben. I, I'm not sure that everybody's entirely uh, thinking logic on a regular basis. Wouldn't you agree that, that people have this sort of religious attachment to the idea of American citizenship? I mean, that's what it, that's, the, that's the best comparison I can come up with. So I think nationalism, in some sense, is a bit of a, a religion for some people. Um, but... Uh, we need to ask, uh, why do we have to attach citizenship with immigration? Why do we have to bundle these together? So I think most of the problems you see with immigration are actually problems of bundling existing interventions with the immigration. The immigration itself can be harmless. So citizenship is a questionable one. Why do we want to let them in? And so I don't think, for that matter, existing American citizens should be voting on most aspects of my life. Why do I want to let some foreign person come in and do it as well? Indeed. So- you know, I, I, yeah, that's, that's sort of the next uh, complaint or, or uh, problem that they, they bring up is, and understand that my show's basically on mostly Republican um, channels, uh, stations, and I would say that to some extent, this is a problem, right? Is that uh, that these people coming in are socialists, or they're at least, at the very least, they're going to vote for Democrats, probably because the Republicans have treated them like crap up until this point. But you know, leave that, be that as it may, um, they're going to vote for. You know, they're going to the, the Democrat. If you let them in, the Democrats are going to get them to be citizens. They're going to be able to vote, and we and once they vote, we can't we can't do nothing about it. We'll have a, a, a decades of, of democratic rule. So. A couple quick responses on this. Historically, in the 19th century, most, Democrat, uh, most immigrants were associated with the Democratic Party, which at that time was actually the party of smaller government. So post-Civil uh, War, your Republicans are the big government party on the national level. Mm-hmm. The immigrants were overwhelmingly Democratic at the time. The problem is now it's, you can't tell which one's a big government party and which one's a small government party. They're both for big government. They just change which interest groups get the money. Yeah, so one, was, one of them lies about it a little more than the other, I'd say. One of, them, one of my friends put it, he says he knows the Democrats are going to screw them when he gets in the office, and he only thinks the Republicans are. Um, but uh, a recent survey, actually, was in the Econ Journal Watch that uh, Dan Klein and a co-author did, uh, surveyed the policy views. So not asking about party affiliation, although that was in there as well, but actually policy views of groups. And one thing they break it down with is ethnic origin. And what you find out is that compared to whites, uh, Hispanics have what we'd call slightly less libertarian policy views, mm-hmm. but it's it's very slight. It's uh, almost statistically insignificant, the differences between the two. It's very small. Uh, meanwhile, Asians, who are also often immigrants, have better views than uh, native-born uh, Caucasian population on it. Uh, the group that overwhelmingly has worse views, and by a significant margin, uh, is black people in the United States, but most of them aren't actually immigrants from Africa. Right. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're our own homegrown uh, socialists. So it's to me, it's... Uh, just looking at empirical data on this, it's not clear that immigrants on net have worse views. And think of this. They come from countries with awful and oppressive governments, and they come here for a little bit of freedom. Right. And this it is seems this odd th- to me to think that they'd come in to then vote for socialism here to make it suck just like their country they came from. In, uh, indeed. I've, <laughs> it, it, this is the argument I've tried to make. Of course, I didn't have any statistics to go with it. Um, so uh, what are some other points that you want to make on this article? Because we're going to have to wrap it up here shortly, but. One other misconception that uh, libertarians have, and this is of a particular uh, kind of hardcore libertarian variety on most issue, on most other issues, is they'll talk about 
freedom of association and enforced integration. And what they say is the existence of public property in the United States means that we can't exclude people we don't want or can't exclude people from our communities that we want to. This is and, this Hoppy argument, right? Um, yeah, Hans-Hermann Hoppe is probably the most famous uh, person who articulates we, this argument. We've had this guy call in and that basically say that communities should be able to decide who enters the communities and who does business in the communities and how they do business. And it, it's a very strange to me sort of so, uh, socialist enclave kind of argument, like a like almost anarcho-syndicalist, if, if it if that made any sense. Yeah, it is. So I believe in the limit. If you have a private property community, say a homeowners association, they should be able to to set up the rules of the game of who they want to be able to sell houses to, move in, rent to, whatever. And that's just private property enforcement. But now what they extrapolate from that then is say, well, somehow the existing American citizens then, uh, we need the state to mimic what they think the market would and regulate the borders to control who can come across our roads, streets, public parks, etc., which I think is, one, uh, ethically wrong about ownership of the land, uh, but two, it's also kind of inaccurate if you think the vast majority of people don't want exclusion, uh, at least for throughways and commercial areas. They want integration. Yeah. They don't want to exclude on these other margins. I think what you'd find is you'd probably get some communities that, uh, if they were private property communities, might do this a little bit on the margin, but that's the exception, not the rule. So instead what we're enforcing is a policy where we prevent basically freedom of association for most Americans. So I think there's not a right to immigrate. The right exists with American property owners to freely associate and employ or rent to or sell to whoever they want. And uh, otherwise libertarians who make this argument, I think, are putting an unjust and inefficient filter on who can do that. Yeah, and, well, it's, it's their filter, right? <laughs> They'll get to decide uh, as if, as if, uh, you know, this is sort of the Harry Brown argument uh, of it all is whatever government program you think is a, is really great, whatever it is that you think of isn't what's going to be implemented. It's going to be what the government and the bureaucrats want implemented. And it's going to, you know, they're going to screw it up. They're not good at anything, um, except maybe one might argue killing and, and destroying. Um, and, you know, why would you put them in charge of, you know, this great plan of yours? People don't say that they want the Federal Reserve to mimic what a competitive banking system would do, and it's equally absurd to say that they want the federal government to mimic, mimic immigration policy of what uh, a free economy would do. So actually, this is, leads to the uh, final question here. What's the optimal number of immigrants? How do yeah. we find that? The uh, point is, we know better. We don't know the answer to that any better than the Soviets knew what the correct quantity of shoes to produce was. But we do know the way that we find it. You have a market where you mostly internalize the costs and benefits of moving. You let people get job offers and bid on uh, housing, either apartments or buying, to get determined a cost of living. And then you observe what the flow is. We don't know what the optimal number of migrants from Massachusetts to New Hampshire, from California to Massachusetts is. But for the most part, most of those benefits are internalized. We let labor markets and housing markets determine the flow, and we get roughly the right number. The same should be true on a national market. So what immigrants... Uh, libertarians who have objections to immigration should be doing is working to internalize uh, so that immigrants themselves or those who sell to them have to bear most of the cost instead of having blanket restrictions on immigration. Ben, you're a friggin' genius. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here, Mark. <laughs> okay, uh, so if people want to read the article or, I don't know, uh, get in contact with you, uh, push something real quick. we got listeners out here that want to consume your stuff. Uh Google Benjamin Powell economist, and there's no problem finding me. Uh, the particular articles on Econ Lib, so Econ Lib Benjamin Powell immigration, and you'll find it there too. Cool. Thanks, Ben.
All right. Thanks, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Death. Its shadow followed Paul. Its hot breath had flowed across the back of his neck. Its cold fingers had caressed his throat. As Paul dabbles in the occult world of the Ouija board, a dangerous netherworld opens up to him, and he discovers the frightening possibility that a demonic dimension may be merging with our own. Read Matthew Wayne's debut novel, The Ouija's. To find out more, available now as an ebook at iPick Publishing. IPIC Publishing.com.